episode number 93, Mitch Unfiltered, available on most podcast platforms like Spotify, like Apple Podcasts, like Google Podcasts. Subscribe, listen, and even rate us. We were recently, Hotshot Scott, given one measly star by a recent review. And by the way, that is the inimitable Hotshot Scott over on the other side. Was the review about me or about the show? The show. One star for the show. I I actually recently went to go look at reviews, and the very first one was from a 12-year-old, I think, who ripped me to pieces. <laughs> I said, if this is how they're going to go, I'm going to stop reading them. So I didn't read after that. We got one star because, if I remember the uh, the review, we got one star because we do things like cover the pandemic, do interviews with doctors and scientists, and murder hornets. We oh. are we are we are veering off of sports, which is not tolerable. And the man or the woman gave us one star. Boy, that's uh, it, one star. Your listeners and have- we're and we're over concerning and over worrying our listeners when we do murder hornets. Now we got people, I guess, going inside. They don't want to come out. They don't want to do this. They don't even want to do the six foot rule because they're afraid they're going to run into a bunch of murder hornets. <laughs> so, so you're all because of us. You're fire. We're, so we're firing everybody up about it. We're yeah. panicking everybody. Everybody's panicking because Mitch Unfiltered has to do <laughs> segments on murder hornets. Yeah. Therefore, one star. Your listeners have a lot of range. They used to tell you you don't know shit about sports, but then when you go away from sports, they (laughs) tell you to stick to sports. That's why I go away from sports, because I I don't know shit about sports. Uh, Anyway, uh, uh, the inimitable Hotshot Scott is here, and there's more. We have have a patron show that will come out on Thursday. For those of you that think we are a a once-a-week slacking team, we're not a a once-a-week slacker. No, we're not. We're a a twice-a-week slacker. Correct. That's right. (laughs) This Thursday, 93P will be uh, will be out. We do two shows a week. Did you get a chance to hear 92 I did. With, yep. with attorney Michael Grieco of Quentin Dunbar, Seahawks fame, and Eldridge Rick Asner. Did you hear those interviews? I did hear Rick Asner. He was awesome, as you <laughs> as you promised. I liked when he was playing Rick defense. Rick Asner. Where he, was, he was, had his hands on his knees. He looks up, and he sees Jordan, of all people, oh, standing there. What, what, what are you doing here? I'm here to shut you down. Like the last thing you'd ever want to hear on a court, isn't it? I thought those 14 or 15 minutes with Eldridge or Kasner were just too good to not put on one of the free episodes. And I said to you, before we even aired it on 92P, I said, I need some permission from the patrons. I I don't know that we've ever done this. In fact, I think this will be the first time after 93 and a year and a half, almost a year and three quarters of doing the podcast that we've ever taken a patron show and taken an element of it and played it for the freebies. So I asked on Twitter and on social media and on the podcast to you, I asked patrons for their permission because I really thought, I really got a chuckle and enjoyed the 15 or 18 minutes with Eldridge Kasner talking about his life playing NBA basketball against Michael Jordan. Right, and you forget that he's a, he was a 27-year-old rookie, which it was interesting, too. Yes. I mean, 27, you're kind of an older man, and people are calling you rook yeah. and treating you like that. Yeah. And he busted his butt to get into the NBA. And he was in so. the playoffs, and he was scoring right. against Jordan and yeah. trying to dunk again. You'll hear that. I don't want to give the stories away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the end result of my request for permission was I saw no objections. Okay. So that's now maybe I was <laughs> maybe I was I was tuning out objections. I didn't see any objections on Facebook. I didn't see any objections on Twitter. I didn't see any objections anywhere. Paid, just about every patron who actually volleyed in an opinion said, "Go ahead. We got a chance to hear it first. Share it with the masses." Yeah. The, the last dance is now over, and here's Eldridge Kasner, former University of Washington star. 
and then well-traveled professional basketball player telling funny story after funny story sharing the court with number 23, Michael Jordan. Not a lot of people can say that. So it was a cool interview. I did see a guy on Twitter say, fine, share this one, but not too often, Mitch. <laughs> let's let's not, not make this often. a habit. This is the first time. <laughs> That's what he's saying. In a year and a half. Let, let's let's not sakes. make this a habit. Well, let, let, <laughs> let it be known that I thought that Michael Grieco was also very, very entertaining on yes, 92P. He was. I've never quite run across a defense attorney that was this bombastic and this boisterous and yelling and screaming about his 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 client's innocence. Typically, they're very, you know, low key and not not accessible right. to the media. Not this guy. This guy has done the rounds and let it be known that I thought it was very. He even said the only personal stake I've got in this is I got to decide whether I'm drafting the Seahawks defense for my fantasy team. <laughs> That's right. That's what he's thinking about during this case. How are you <laughs> feeling if you're up for four charges of armed oh. robbery and your attorney says, the only thing that matters to me is whether I'm picking the Seahawks <laughs> right. defense on my fantasy team? Is this cousin, my cousin Vinny all of a sudden here? <laughs> yeah, I was Couple thinking about Utes. that. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but the point that I'm raising is I'm not replaying that interview. That was a highly interesting highly entertaining interview with Michael Grieco. And yep. that's only for the patrons. I would, I am refusing to play that interview <laughs> on this episode 90. These guys get Richard Grieco, the actor. We have him on again, a, a different Grieco on this episode. I'm trying to Wasn't there a Richard, Richard Grieco? Yeah. 21 Jump Street, I think. Yeah. He was, I think he was. Dark haired, like short and dark. No. Was it Dom DeLuise's? Dom DeLuise? I think it was like his cousin what or I don't know. the chances that Dom DeLuise's <laughs> name was going to be mentioned on episode 90? I, I could have it all wrong. Did you ever see Fatso? Oh, when he takes the, the jelly out of the oh, donut and oh. fills it with ice cream instead. <laughs> Did I see Fatso? Who are you talking to When here? they send him to get uh, Chinese food for like like 20 people yeah, and yeah. he goes and by the time he gets back, it's all gone. <laughs> right. He, he's eating it on the car. Yeah. Dom DeLuise, very underrated. I don't even know that... Three quarters of our audience even knows who we're talking about right now. Three quarters? I would have said less than three quarters. I don't even know if half our audience. No, I said three quarters. I, I think don't, oh, don't know. know. Yeah, 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 I would agree yeah. with you. He was kind of a big deal for a minute, wasn't oh, he? Oh, God. And really funny. He was funny. Yeah, he was good. No, it, it was a, it was a, a heavy set. It was a heavy set <laughs> Zoftic type of a humor, though. Zoftic, he played, yes. I mean, if he was a thin guy, he would have never been funny. And he got bigger as, as he went on. He, yeah, he was got funnier. <laughs> That's true. Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying at least. I'm up 10 pounds. So if you're listening right now and you'd like to have access to the other stuff, not just the Monday shows, yeah. we do, as I said, a full Thursday, 93P. Every Thursday we do a full show, all the interviews, all the, the fun. Uh, you can go to MitchUnfiltered.com, our official website, and you can click on the little uh, the little link that says become a patron. That takes you to the patron site. It's called Mitchy the Kid Patreon site. It costs a minimum. You make make a bit of, of $5 or more, $5 a month per more, and you have access to all the bonus, uh, the bonus shows. In fact, four people, I always like to list some of the more recent uh, additions yep. to the patron crowd. And I always hope when I'm going to do this that there's going to be a last name like Mark Wilson. There's going to be like a last name. Yeah, yeah. That reminds us of an athlete. The last, uh, some of the last four, anyway. Uh, David Papandrew. Okay. Justin Rude, R-U-U-D. Larry Gilmore, the, the first cousin of Happy Gilmore. Okay, good Which I know. never saw, by the way. A golf movie? You yeah. never saw it? Never saw it. 
Never saw Adam Sandler plays Happy Gilmore. Did you see Happy yes. Gilmore? I never saw it. I think he sort of peaked after Happy Gilmore. It was Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, and then the rest. Really? He's done now? I saw the more, the most recent one, the Uncut Gems, where it was like a serious. Well, right. As far as he, he wanted an go. Academy. Really? It's He's done. He's jumped the shark. Yes. Adam I Sandler's would. jumped the shark? I think people love Waterboy. That came after both those. I, I just it. didn't do much for me. Yeah, he had like two movies I liked. Anyway, I thought Happy Gilmore was very funny with uh, Apollo I, Creed. I thought he was like one of the biggest stars. Not anymore. Well, he is one of the biggest stars for some reason. He just He's like Seinfeld. He just keeps printing money and they keep getting deals. And yeah, I never saw Happy Gilmore. It's pretty funny. Was Bob Barker in... Happy Gilmore. As a matter of fact, he gets in a fight was with Apollo Happy Gilmore. Creed in Happy Gilmore. As a matter of fact, yes, he got his hand bitten off by an alligator, and that's why he can't golf anymore. He's the golf <laughs> pro that teaches him. See, you're already laughing. It's a good movie. <laughs> uh, thank you to David Papandrew, Justin Rude, Larry Gilmore, and Andrew Hunt. Uh, on this episode 93, you already know about Eldridge Kasner. If you're not a patron, or even if you are a patron and you haven't heard it yet, you get a shot. It's just too good not to share. I don't want to oversell it because then it'll be disappointing. But he's just, if you've ever heard Eldred Kasner on radio or TV yeah. with me back in the radio days or whenever, he's just, he's just bubbling with personality. Yep. The fact that that guy, Eldred Kasner, isn't a national, I mean, he, he's just got so much personality and so fun and such a great storyteller. You'll hear from Eldred Kasner. We'll get a, a visit again from Dr. Eric Ding. You remember him? Sure. He's the guy that got me the one-star rating, uh, the Harvard epidemiologist. <laughs> so let's have him back. <laughs> I'm having him back on the gentle reopening of most states and what we all need to know. He's going to give you some advice as we all start to try to uh, expand what we've been doing out there in society. Do you recall the name Stephen Elliott? Stephen Elliott, yeah. yes. In 2019, Memorial Day weekend 2019, we did a show. I don't know that you were on that show yet. It was episode 42 no. where Stephen Elliott uh, retold the story, told us the story of his role in the death, the friendly fire death of Pat Tillman. Do you remember hearing that? Yeah, that was great. Or, yeah. That was one of your best interviews ever. Really, honestly. I mean, you know, it's, really? hard, it's hard for me to give compliments, nice. especially to you. Well, I'm a great interview. You did a great job. From what I hear, yes. I'm like Jerry Krause. Oh, he's the best interview. Oh. So you remember that interview? Yes, it was great. Well, I figured we just went past Memorial Day weekend. Correct. Those uh, those that are listening on the Monday, it's actually Memorial Day. Why not invite Stephen Elliott back? Great idea. And ask him how his year's going. Talk a little bit more about what happened in Afghanistan. What happened with Pat Tillman, but what are what are army what are military veterans go through when they come back? Because he's all about that. Mm -hmm. His book is all about that the war very often starts when you return. It's not when you're over there. Interesting. It's the battle is the toughest battles you have is when you return to society. He's back on episode ninety three and also on episode ninety three, Hotshot Scott. The one, the only Washington Husky Bound movie mogul Max. Ah, watch, that's right. Washington Husky Bound. He has not been on the show. He has not been on the show since he made the decision to go to the University of Washington. So I'm going to have him on to ask him why. Why Washington? Because we all thought here in, in this family that he was going somewhere else. He'll tell you where that was. Why Washington? And he also says, Dad, I got things to say about the Jordan series, and I got things to say about Jordan versus LeBron for best player ever. Okay. So he's got – movie mogul Max came to me and said, I, I got to get on. I got to get on. And I was like, <laughs> well, you got to talk about Washington and college choices and high school and everything. He's like, no, 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 no. I'll talk about Jordan's series. I don't, let's not talk about me. I was like, no. No, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. 
There's okay. a give and take I'm in this business. I'm calling the shots. Yeah, first if of all. If you want to be on that microphone, <laughs> right. you're going to tell me about Washington. <laughs> you son of a bitch. That's you're going right. to tell me why you're a Washington Husky yeah. and not a USC Trojan or a Michigan Wolverine. And he said, okay, I'll talk. But I, I want to talk about the Jordan series, he says, and I, I've got plenty to say. Now, do you ever – do does he strike you as the kind of kid that might follow in your footsteps and – wants to be heard and maybe would go into broadcasting of some kind because i'm when you're talking about him now I'm, he's got something to say and he wants to say it that's the bug that we all have who get in radio and do who do well, this can i can i chop that question into into categories <laughs> sure, yeah. do i think he's got something to say he's got something to say about everything okay Trust me. well that's a good start for getting in radio or getting into broadcasting. Not a great start for a dad-son relationship, <laughs> but he's got something okay. to say about everything. I think all of this kind of intrigues him. Okay. If I'm being if I'm being obnoxious as a parent and and stubborn and annoying, I'll say that I root against that. I push away from that. He has got I mean, you've heard him on on I mean, he's got some unique qualities. He's got he could do so much more than this. I, I hope, <laughs> I, I pray. Where were you in my youth? I needed you to push me away from this. <laughs> I, you wouldn't have been the type of guy that I would say has, has anything more than this. See, that's the problem. Should have got to medical school. This is school. all you got. That's it, I guess. I look at him and maybe this is the biased father in me. And I've watched uh, all, all of his accomplishments through school. I, I know what he innately has that none of us in this family have. Yeah. And I just... I, I like that he's interested in all this, but I, I hope not. Okay. I hope bigger and better things than sitting in a house doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> with, with a guy that comes over a couple of times a week. All right, but he has to, he does have to give his thoughts out, so that's why it kind of yeah, triggered he, oh, to me that you he's know. got plenty to yeah. say. All right. about everything. It's a good start. It's yeah. a good start. Maybe he'll host he's his own his show. His father's son. There's no question <laughs> about that. Okay, so this is episode 93. As we move closer and closer to the century mark. It's brought to you by Zeke's Pizza. You know that Zeke's Pizza delivers during the pandemic. And I'm not just talking about great Northwest-style pizza here. You're going to hear President Dan Black on this show discuss the boom of Zeke's door-to-door delivery of the best local craft beer selection you'll find anywhere. Download the Zeke's Pizza app, safe and delicious, pay in advance, tip in advance, deliver or drops the pizza right at your front door. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the northwest daniel's broiler i'm hoping that we're going to see daniel's broiler locations opened here in the next couple of weeks the stress i keep telling you that the schwartz family is under our favorite world-class steakhouses are soon to be back and how can you help such a wonderful partner of mine for so many years when they reopen go visit for special occasions go get a gift card at danielsbroiler.com and also support schwartz brothers baked goods in the grocery stores the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. Interest rates now in the low threes, expected to fall underneath three at the beginning of 2021. You're going to hear Jordan Flowers talking about his all-star team at the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage right here on episode 93, 425-250-3150. An evergreen golf call, Tyler Hayes' team, listening to and understanding its clients' needs for 
decades, responsibly growing families' money all over the Pacific Northwest. It's called the Private Wealth Management Division. Offices all over the West Coast, headquartered right here in Bellevue. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. This, my friends, is episode 93, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. I don't think there's any question that Roger Goodell will look at this and say, at the very least, high stakes gambling, hundreds of thousands of dollars are changing hands. He's there. There's no way Roger Goodell isn't going to suspend this guy, whether all the charges are dropped or not. Unfiltered. Let's just identify it for what it was. It was a Michael Jordan presentation. He had the total say. God knows what was cut out of that show. God knows who wasn't invited on that show. God knows who was interviewed and then he looked at the video and said, I don't want that in. I do want. This was presented through the eyes of Michael Jordan. You just have to accept that. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode number 93 is now officially underway. Hotshot Scott. And you know, we do so much on Twitter. I always come out of here on Monday nights or Sunday nights or whenever we record the free shows and I say to myself, how'd that go? And typically I say, not so good. Um, <laughs> I say the same thing on the way home. Uh, do you? How'd you know? Okay. <laughs> but the one thing that I come back to is I say to myself, why don't we ever promote our Twitter? We talk about Twitter all oh, the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. We talk about what's, what's on Twitter and what we tweeted and what you told. That was funny, Hotshot, what you did. Or you'll say, hey, that was good, Mitch, what you did. But we never really tell people how to follow us on Twitter. Maybe we're just assuming that anybody who listens to this is either not on Twitter, and if they are on Twitter, they know. But yeah. in the case that they don't, tell everybody how you follow Steve Dion on Twitter. That's a great <laughs> idea. He is funny. At Scott Soden, two T's, S-O-D-E-N. Yes, great idea. Follow me on Twitter. I'm hilarious. And, and you're not that I funny. Don't know. But why, wh- tell everybody what pops up when you put at Scott Soden. It does say Hot Shot Scott. So it does. That, that way Even you, though you don't like that nickname. Well, I've told you seven <laughs> times. A friend of mine made my Twitter account when it first started for me. You could. I think there's probably a way to going in the profile. I don't know how to do if it. Re- yeah, you don't I know have how no to do idea it. You want to know why it. you don't know how to do it? Because you like the <laughs> nickname. I've never tried. <laughs> you love the nickname. Just like you like breaking the news of people dying, which we have on the show. A few oh, yeah. Huge coaches passed away. We'll get to that in the other stuff segment. If you'd like to follow Mitch, I can't get the blue check. Do you have a blue check? Of course not. I have like 3,000 followers. There are people with like 400 followers with the blue check. Wait, so how does that work? Have you tried? Have you reached yeah, out? Yeah, I think we've tried a few times. I don't have people in high places. They say at Twitter, it's funny, they say at Twitter, we suspended that years ago because there was a problem with it. So they said they made an official announcement like three years or four years ago. No more blue checks. We're not doing that anymore. We've suspended that service. And then I noticed... Blue check, a new one, a new one, yeah, a new yeah. one, a new one. So then I I like write to people or somebody writes, Steve writes on my behalf or something. And the truth is they are limitedly giving new blue checks out, but, uh-huh. but not to me. I don't have a blue check. I am at Mitch underscore. That's the little. <laughs> yes. We Mitch know what underscore, underscore Seattle yes. at Mitch underscore Seattle. If you'd like to either follow Hotshot Scott. Or Mitch. I got yelled at for putting up another old picture. I put up a prom picture, me and my prom date in 1992, and some yeah. guy like went off on me. So now I think I'm done putting up old pictures because he ruined it. See, I me. get yelled at by the misses if I try to. I like to put every once in a while one of the boys. She doesn't like me putting up the boys on Twitter. I understand that. 
She yeah. just doesn't like that at all. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, there's been a long-standing rule in this household, going back to when they were young, young, that we didn't, we didn't post pictures of them. But I figure, you know, one's going to college. Yeah. I mean, when he's 35, can we post a picture when, when I'm like 80 and he's 35? <laughs> now I can do it finally. <laughs> when I'm, when I'm Grandpa Mitch. Right. Is there, is any, when does it, yeah. when does it wear off? She doesn't like that. So you know, that's, that's the one thing. Uh, and I get yelled at by the listeners all the time. I can sure. say that I've put pictures of my daughter up very rarely, but I and no one has said anything. I haven't had one bad comment, so I appreciate that. Oh, nobody that. makes a bad comment that, about my worried. son. I was worried about that. She, she just doesn't want for privacy yeah, sure. reasons, and I yeah, get yeah. that. She doesn't think that uh, the boys need to be out and about on my on my social media pages. All right, fair enough. Yeah. My yeah. wife doesn't even have a Facebook or a Twitter or anything, so she this is all she doesn't like any of it. So she gets really worried about that too. But yeah. you know, yeah. I'll, I'll put a picture of her and I up tomorrow. Episode 93. Are you ready to start episode 93? I'm ready. Episode Spider Gains. Oh, receiver for the University of Washington. 93 as a receiver. Warren Moon's target, if I'm not mistaken. Favorite target. Very yeah. good. But who wears 90? When was the last time you saw 93 on a receiver? Yeah, rare. I had to like double check that I was seeing that right, <laughs> that Spider Gains was, not that we're going to go episode Spider Gains, but... The fact that he was 93, Warren Moon's favorite target, and he was a receiver wearing 93. Episode Philip Daniels. Remember Philip Daniels? Philip Daniels was a defensive, like, nose guard type. Defensive lineman yeah. for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, yeah. He had a pretty good run. I think he was out of the University of Georgia, Philip, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. He's good. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nothing great. Um, and then there's another 93 who played a couple of years with the Seahawks, but he's not known as a Seahawk. I got it. He's a Hall of Famer. Sure. I know exactly who you're talking about. I was excited when they got him, even though he was kind of on the down. Oh, they always get those guys that are on the down. <laughs> okay, again, does every fan base say that? Or is yeah. it <laughs> Patrick Ewing on the Sonics? Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Franco Harris on the Seahawks? Yeah. Like John Randall. Yeah, but Jerry Rice was in his prime. <laughs> That's true. Came. That's right. I forgot Jerry Rice was a Seahawk. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> yeah, yeah John Randall. He was great. Oh, God, he was good. Un- was he undrafted, maybe, or drafted? Yeah, really? undrafted. I, I think, think he was undrafted. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. I think yeah, I, I, there's there's only two national 93s that would even give him a run. I don't even know they give him a run. One I am particularly fond of because he's a Syracuse guy. And I think not only was he a Syracuse guy, I think he was one of the more underrated NFL pass rushers of our lifetime. A guy named Dwight Freeney. Dwight Free- and I think he played here for half a second too. Is now that, that right? I'm thinking about it, <laughs> towards the end of his career, right at the end. Check he, me out on that. another guy. Now he was good on the Colts. He, is that when he had his? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. One of the one of the most prolific pass rushers of our of this era was Dwight Freeney out of Syracuse for the Indianapolis Colts, number ninety three. And I think now that I'm thinking of it, he was here for like ten seconds. Was he not? 2017 played for the Seahawks. <laughs> And then went to the Lions in 2000. Another guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, And then there was a guy named Doug Gilmore of the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you want to go hockey. Don't know anything about him. So I think it's episode John Randall, which we can come back to in the other stuff segment. I think that's a good choice. While we're on the topic of the Seahawks. Yes. New running back in town. Saw that. Former Niner. And then... Went to the Texans, I want to say. Well, I think it was with the Browns in between, maybe. Carlos Hyde, who I really liked when he was with San Francisco. Why is that? I don't know. He seemed tough and he seemed like a problem. I really kind of liked his style. He was never a like a pro bowler or anything like that. Maybe he was a pro bowler. One year he had, I saw, 60 catches and had 900 yards for San Francisco. He's coming off actually his best. I think he's a 30-year-old. He's coming off his best season as a pro with the Texans where he had over his only over a 1,000-yard rushing season. He's now a member of the Seattle Seahawks. Apparently, the Seahawks 
tried to sign Devontae Freeman, the former running back of the Falcons, who's also a free agent, a couple of years younger than Carlos Hyde. But either that, either he said no or that dragged. He wants a lot of money for the one year. So they they got off of that and they signed Carlos. What does Carlos Hyde do for you? Anything? It does feel like the Seahawks have a lot of running backs. I was trying to figure out how many running well, backs they yeah, have. Yeah. And it, maybe it tells me that Carson's not coming along like they hope. Boy, I hope it doesn't. I hope that that's not what this means. Yeah. I, I, I was more uh, focused on Penny than Carson because Carson didn't have surgery. Right. Yeah, that's true. Less of a rehab. Penny had a huge rehab, a major surgery, and everybody's guessing that he'll start on the the physically unable to put the pup, the PUP list, mm-hmm. which would knock him out for the first six or eight weeks of the season automatically. Then you'd be left with Chris Carson if healthy, but we don't know where he is. And then a bunch of young guys like Travis Homer, and they got another guy from Miami in the draft. So yep. they don't have a lot. If Carson doesn't work out, and plus, you know how they like to do it with Carson. They like to take him out for serieses, serieses yeah. at, at a time. Yeah. So Carlos Hyde is the guy. And somebody asked me, Dad, what do you think the difference? I guess it was my kid. <laughs> I think we know. What do you think the difference between Devontae Freeman and Carlos Hyde is? And I think there's a major difference between the two. Okay. Well, there's di- hugely different styles. One guy's kind of a a tough between the tackles, you know, breaking tackle guy. The other guy's a little bit more elusive, smaller, quicker, gets out in space and screen passes and all that stuff. So um, I think there's two radically different styles. You know, the interesting thing is if, if this were a traditional running back, uh, um, let's say depth running back from the old days, it would be a guy that would come in on passing situations. You know, there's a lot of teams that do that. They have right. a main running back, and then on passing situations, they take him out, and they bring in kind of the guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, maybe block, whatever. The Seahawks really don't do that. The Seahawks are more of a, you know, Carson for two series, let's bring in Penny or somebody else for the next full series. It's not like, let's bring in Penny for third downs. Yeah. Because Carson's a good receiver on third downs. So... The guy that they're bringing in to back up Carson, if Carson is healthy, is not going to be kind of a guy who comes in on passing situations. He's going to be a guy who's going to come out, come in for full series, first, second, and third down to give Carson a spell. And for that reason, I, I have no problems with the Carlos Hyde signing. Of course, everybody jumps into, are they taking money away from Javon or Jadavion Clowney, is this the final nail in the coffin for Marshawn Lynch? I don't know whether it – oh, for Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, that, those, those are two different th- questions. Yeah, those are the two things I've, I, I was I, reading I, about. I never thought that Marshawn Lynch was a possibility to start the season. I always looked at him as, yeah, maybe if we get into a bind again like we did last year in the middle okay. of the year, he keeps himself healthy and we do it. I, I never. There's no now, training camp for Marshawn Lynch. I mean, right? No. He's right. He's not coming in to do. It. No, there's no preseason games. <laughs> right. He's not coming in to be. In, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know. Uh, so, so we've got Carlos Hyde and, and kind of graduating to Clowney. I know the Clowney thing is kind of old and everybody's tired of it again. But he is. You said he was trending again on on Twitter three days ago. He, I, I think when they signed Hyde, then everyone had a comment about Clowney. Well, I guess they're definitely not getting Clowney now. That's kind of what. That's. Most of what I saw, well, they're taking more money away. Well, than I don't I, know that they gave Hyde that much money. Well, but again, it's sort of chipping into it, even though it's a little bit. It's another sign that they don't have enough for Clowney. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what Clowney is ultimately going to sign for or not. I, I do know this that I'm pretty. I don't have to go back over my thoughts. I think they need Clowney. I think they their pass rush, even with 
uh, Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa, who they've added since yep. last year. Now, just so you know, Irvin had eight and a half sacks for Carolina last year, even though he's at the end of his career. Mayoa had seven sacks, I believe, for the Raiders. So they added 15 and a half sacks from last year, whatever that means. And Clowney had three, I think, or four. 15 and a half might be more than the entire defense for the Seahawks yeah. last so year. So they actually. did, well, if you believe that they're bringing that here. Right, exactly. I, I don't know yeah, that yeah. they're bringing that it's just here. a number. I still think they are past the, that middle of the year. You and I will be complaining on this podcast that they're losing a game here and there because of the pass rush and that it might get in the way of the ultimate goal of going deep into the playoffs. But, you know, the one thing I will say about Clowney that is not being discussed, it's, it's you know, when Clowney's name comes up across the country, I, I'm very intrigued about it because there is this debate, is he a good pass rusher? Those that just judge by the number under the sacks column have concluded the guy's a great athlete and he's superhuman from South Carolina and that bowl game and whatever – but he's not a great pass rusher. He had three sacks yep. last year, or four sacks, or or he's never had double-digit sacks. That That's one line of thinking. And then other people who actually maybe watched him like you and me closely each and every game would say, hold on a second. He may be the greatest three-sack guy in the history of the NFL <laughs> yeah. from a pass rusher because he was in on the quarterback a lot. He was disruptive. He was forcing guys to throw, and sacks aren't everything. So this, this there's this debate on – you know, how much money do you want to give a guy who only comes up with three sacks but does get pressure on the quarterback? Well, let me put that aside for a second and throw this at you. Okay. The one thing it seems like everybody is universally in agreement on, on Clowney, before he got here while, while he was with Houston and after he got here, is that for like a pass rushing defensive end, whatever he is, for a defensive end, he's unbelievable against the run. Mm. Maybe the best at his position in the league against the run. Now, the next guy will tell you, the expert will say, well, the NFL doesn't pay guys that are great against the run. It's nice to have a guy who's great against the run, but the guys who get the money are the home run hitters, baby. Gotcha. They're the middle of the lineup guys. They're the guys who get pass pressure. Well, let me just remind you of one thing. If you accept this He's great against the run, maybe the best in the league at his position against the run. And he was great against the run for the Seahawks. Let me remind you that the Seahawks as a team with the guy who was the greatest in the league against the run at that position, if you accept that, allowed 4.9 yards per carry, 28th best out of 32 teams in the NFL, and allowed 22 rushing touchdowns 30th best out of 32 teams in the NFL. That's with him. Right. And now he may be going away. So while we're all got our eye on pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, and I'm obsessed with the pass rush, you're also losing your best defensive lineman against the run off of a football team that stunk against the run otherwise. Now, if you want to say to me, oh, but Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa, they're great against the run too. I don't know that to be true. I've never heard that about either one of them. Right. Never heard that about either one I mean, of them. We saw Bruce Irvin for a few years, and so, you don't think run stopper. And we're hearing that Jordan Brooks, the first-round draft choice, may not start right away. And I, right. I, I, there may not be a spot for him, whatever. We know Bobby Wagner's good. I'm telling you, they were a bad defensive football team against the run last year. And if Clowney doesn't sign, it doesn't look like he's going to sign back. I ask you, how how are they going to be better against the run this year than they were last year when they don't have Clowney? That's my question.
And I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> you're supposed to have answers. Yeah, I mean, the math would tell you you're going to pull one of your best guys against the runoff, and you're, you still stunk as a defense. Yeah. How, how's that going to work if he's know. gone? Yeah. Yeah. Every time a Seahawk player is, is, you know, they go out and get somebody else, everyone just starts taking that money off the, off the, uh, the ledger. Like, well, there's another well, million. We know, I don't even know how much the, the contract is for Hyde. It yeah. can't be it much. Was, it was like a million, I think, maybe. But We're still waiting to find out about Dunbar, by the way. Right. Yeah, that's another one. Because if Dunbar doesn't play and gets cut, that's another three and a half million you have to add to the cap. I think he's three and a half million against the cap. But I think before any decision there and before Hyde, you were at 16. 16, 16 and a half, I think, is where you were. So now you deduct Hyde from that. And we, of course, reiterate that they have to hold money back right. for future deals. Well, for deals like Hyde. I mean, that's exactly what we're well, talking about. Well, no, that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about during the like, season. I'm talking about like. Leading up to the beginning of the regular year, injuries okay. in the preseason, injuries during the year, trading deadline stuff. You've got to leave yourself some flexibility if if you have to go out and get somebody. So there's not a lot of money in the kitty for Jadeveon Clowney. There just, there just isn't. And then the other huge news, and, and by the way, we talked a lot on 92P about my prediction on Dunbar. Yes. I'm I'm staying right with it. We'll get to that in the other stuff segment. I'm I have not gotten off my prediction about Quentin Dunbar and what's going to happen in that court position. You haven't wavered at all? Not at all. Okay, good. In fact, I feel strongly, I feel stronger about it now than I did before. Really? Yeah. That's good to know. My prediction. Okay. And the the free folks haven't heard my prediction. The patrons have. Uh, We'll talk about it in the other stuff segment. But how about this funky new rule? I don't think I know what you're talking about. A new rule in the NFL? It's been the talk of the NFL the last week, at least. A crazy NFL rules change proposal needs to be voted on by the league. Okay. They need a super majority, which means 24 out of 32 teams have to say yay to it. But it's this new rule that allows a team to try to get the ball back after they score outside of the onside kick. The onside kick still works. The ball is still free after 10 yards. If you want to run an onside kick, have at it. Onside kicks have become few and far between because they changed the rules of kickoffs in the NFL. Very rare. One of the best moments of my life as a Seahawks fan, though, was an onside kick against the Green Bay Packers. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Amazing. But so rare. The guy messed it up. The guy was vilified in Green Bay, right? Wasn't he a tight end or something? Yeah, he got let go. Yeah, he went up to catch it and just, he's a tight end. He's on the hands team and he just missed it. It's exciting when your team recovers an onside kick. It's amazing. It's so rare. Because you don't expect it. That's right. Well, the, the rules change that everybody seems to be writing and talking about is they are voting for, I guess, this month. They, they actually, this came up last year and it was voted down. Oh. It did not get 24 out of 32. There is some sentiment in NFL corners that state there's more momentum for this. And that, here's, what, here's what it is, essentially. Pretty easy to understand. Every team is allowed in a game twice, two times max. Okay. After you score either a field goal or a touchdown, you're allowed to try a fourth and 15 play from your own 25-yard line. Okay. Now digest that for a second. You score a touchdown. Let's say you're, let's say you're, 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 you're nine down with a minute to play. Okay. A minute and a half to play. You're nine down. You score a touchdown to make it two. You get the extra point. You're two down now. But there's only a minute or 45 seconds to go. Yeah. And you don't want to try an onside kick because onside kicks have become like 6 to 7% accurate now. It's, it's almost impossible. Yeah. You're allowed to exercise this rule twice in a game where they'll put the ball at your own 25 
and it's fourth and 15 play. You take your offense on the field. Russell Wilson goes on the field. Defense goes on the field. You got one shot, fourth and 15. If you convert the fourth and 15, you you keep the ball and you keep the, the drive as your – it's a drive. It's a new drive, but it starts at fourth and 15. If you don't get the first down on fourth and 15, just as you would expect, the ball's turned over to the other side at that point, and then they have the ball at your 25 or 30 or how many yards you got on the play. Okay, so if you throw an incomplete pass, right. it's then their ball on the 25. That's it. Gotcha. At your 25. Yeah, yeah. So it's tw- obviously yeah, – yeah. Now, the questions that you should be asking is, okay, what's the percentage chance that you're going to get a fourth and 15? I'm sure you're going to convert that. I'm sure they've looked into it. Well, I got it. I got it for you. Okay. In the last four years, according to NFL research, last four years, fourth and 15 has been about 25%. I would have said lower. Offenses are about 25%. That seems higher than I would have thought. That seems really hard, fourth and 15. Although maybe defenses are playing prevent and it's a little easier. One and four, 25% shot. Okay. So do you like that rule? Would you like to see the it's it's got a little XFL arena football like goofiness to it. Now, like a lot of things in life, things that appear goofy or seem goofy now may be just because it's a change and that 15 years from now we'll be like, I don't even remember football without that rule. Like I mean, the three-point three like, yeah. line was probably thought of as goofy. Yeah, probably, yeah. At some point. We don't need three that, points. Yeah, Basketball's yeah. two points. That's right. Yeah, I am. That's right. So do you like the rule? I typically don't like this kind of stuff. For instance, the college tiebreaker, you get the ball on the, the 25, 25, the yeah. Kansas tiebreaker. Yeah, whatever. instead of, yeah. I don't like that at all. It you annoys don't. the hell out of me. Really? Yeah, because it doesn't... I kind of like it. It doesn't feel like football. You're, you're taking away the special teams. There's no kickoff or kickoff return. What if you had Devin Hester or whoever the greatest kickoff returner of all time True. is, and you got to do That's this... That's the overtime, right. Yeah, and you got to do this cockamamie you know, 25 Kansas tiebreaker thing. So it sort of takes away from, from football. So if I want to be consistent, I don't think I like this either. It just feels weird. A fourth and 15, who, who decided 15? Why not 10? Just feels kind of arbitrary. So yeah, I, I do like the NFL for trying to branch out and do different things, unlike some sports. Yeah. They're, they're at least trying to evolve all the time. So I appreciate that, but this feels weird to me. I don't See, like it. Well, it's weird and it's goofy, and that's one part of it. To me, there's only really one one huge question about this that should decide the future of the rule we can we can boil it down we can have fun with it on how it looks and how it feels and whatever but really it comes down to one thing is it fair Mm. and what does it do to the integrity of the game and by that i mean should we be giving a team that's behind that has scored, and this will happen late. It won't happen early in a game because no one would want to risk giving the ball at the 25-yard line. Right. It's not going to happen before halftime because if you give the ball to the team at the 25-yard line, it's an easy field goal or a touchdown. So the, this is going to be reserved for late-game situations. You get a maximum of two. So let's say, let's say, for instance, I'm down, I'm down, I'm down 20 points in the fourth quarter. Okay. Okay. And I score. I'm down 13. Okay. Right? Now I can do this. If I convert on the fourth down and I go down and score again, now I'm down six. I can do it again. So I could conceivably, I mean, it's a long shot. A, you got to convert the first down and then score a touchdown. Right. I understand all that. But, but you are given a legitimate chance down 20 in the fourth quarter. The reason I'm bringing up this hypothetical is I'm asking this question. And I don't know the answer to this. I got to yeah. think about it. One team has completely outplayed the other for 3.8 
quarters, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah. Three quarters and 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. To go up 20 on a team in the NFL, it's hard to go up 20. Sure. You have totally dominated the game. So the question is, should we be giving the team that's 20 mm. down a 1-4 in four chance to keep getting the ball back after the score? That's what this comes down to, the integrity of the game. It, there's no que- there's nobody in the world that is going to debate whether it's going to make the game more exciting. Oh, it totally will. Gonna, yeah. th- that's a no-brainer. It's right. going to make the game more exciting. So from that standpoint, we ought to not even have the conversation. But you've got to ask yourself the question, is it fair? Yeah. Or would you say as to somebody who says, you know, but the onside kick, Mitch, you can't even get, it's like 6%. Maybe you would say to that guy, yeah, it's boring anymore because it's so hard, but you know what? It should be that hard because the team that's built the lead deserves, deserves it to be really, really hard. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So I'm not sure where I am on that one in four giving Russell. And look, I got Russell Wilson on my team. You got a good quarterback on, you got Tom Brady on your team and those receivers. Maybe it's more like 30% for those teams, and maybe it comes to 25 because some of the teams with bad quarterbacks, because it's a passing play and you need some ingenuity and creativity, maybe the teams with the bad quarterbacks, it's more like 15%, and the teams with the good quarterbacks, it's more like 30 or 35%, and it equals 25 So if you've got a good quarterback, maybe it's 30 to... I got I got, I got Russell Wilson. On, I got two, man. I got two on my team now. <laughs> right. All right, so... You know, when I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm gonna thank the I'm gonna thank the good Lord if this rule ever applies and gets and gets, you know, voted in. That first time where where the Seahawks are behind and he comes running out after they score a touchdown and they convert the fourth down, I'm gonna be like, yeah, I'm glad this rule exists. Yeah. But is it fair? Is it fair to the team that's busted its ass and dominated the first? 55 minutes of a 60-minute football game. That's the question. I think a devil's advocate would say, Mitch, you're making it like this is easy. I mean, 15 yards is tough to pick up on one down, and then they have to go another, you know, 60 yards. They do. And they, I mean, this is it's not easy to drive 75 yards in the NFL and but get a touchdown. But do they deserve to have the ball? Yeah, that, that's... Does that team deserve it? We've given up a touchdown. Okay, it's our turn with the ball now. Yeah. This is the way football works. You guys scored a touchdown or a field goal? Now it's our turn. With the ball. Why should you get the ball back again? Why should you get another shot? It's like when you're a kid. I'll kick off. Look, I guess I'm sounding like I don't like it. I'm just saying this has got to be really thought about. The integrity of the game. Is it fair? And if it is, fine. Yeah, what's in it for a good team would be another question. What's in it? What, what, how does this rule help a good team who's going to be up by 20 on teams? It doesn't really do anything for well, them. Well, it helps them in the few cases when they're down. Yeah, in the few cases. Yeah. I mean, how are you going to feel if the Seahawks make the Super Bowl? The Seahawks win 13 games this year. They win the NFC West. They go 13-3. and They're the number one seed in the NFC. They win the two games or whatever it is, and they go to the Super Bowl. And then they play some team from the AFC, and they're kicking their freaking ass for three quarters and 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. They're up like 15-16. And then the team scores a touchdown, gets a fluke, gets a pass interference call on fourth and 15 Convert, and they end up losing the freaking Super Bowl after that year and dominating the football game. Are you going to say, well, that's just the way it goes. That's the rules. Or are you going to say, God, 
that rule is kind of hokey. I gave them a yeah. lot, a, a pretty big chance to come back. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I don't know the answer either. I just can't figure out what's in it for a good team. There really isn't. No. So I could, do you know what the vote was last year by chance? No, I looked it up and I and I searched and I even made a few phone calls. Yeah. And I couldn't come up. I know it was no. It was under 24, but I have not been able to. It's mm. secret. Seems to be secret what the final voting was for that. The fact that it's back for vote again makes again. me think it was pretty close. Is that, does that, I mean, can we read yeah. into that? Yeah. Maybe 21 or 22? Yeah. Either that or it was pretty close, and it was another year of the onside kick is just so hard. Yeah. I think the more we see how hard it is to recover an onside kick, especially when the other team knows you're going to onside kick it, it's one thing to recover it in the second quarter when you when it's a shock surprise. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Having to line up as, and, and saying to the other team, "Here, we're going to onside kick now." Maybe a maybe. NFL owners have, have thrown their arms up saying, okay, it's just too hard to recover an onside kick. I, I don't know. I don't know. So as for now, don't you, you don't have an opinion. You're going to think about it a little more. You're, you're, you're not a yay or a nay if you had to vote tomorrow. I think I'm a, I think I'm a nay. Yeah. I think I'm a nay, but slightly. And I could, be, I could be convinced. I could be pushed over to the other side. I could be pushed over to the other side. Yeah, maybe if I rooted for a bad team, I would love it because it gives my team more chances to get back in games. But, you know, like you said, if you're a good team, I don't. how does this rule even benefit a good team? Yeah. It, it doesn't. Right, right. That's interesting. I, I've got uh, four interviews. One is a repeat from 92P, the, the Eldridge or Kasner thing, and then three new ones I think you'll enjoy. Now let's do another, another stuff segment, okay? I'm ready. Hey, let's catch up with Zeke's president, Dan Black. Dan, what's new in the world of Zeke? You guys hanging in there? Yeah, no, it's been good. As we've talked about, people have been really supportive of homegrown businesses with local ownership from the get-go. And so as this thing hit, that really carried us and got us going. And then, uh, you know, as we've talked about, too, our business model is pretty resilient, and we were able to rally around takeout and delivery as our catering. And the biggest thing has been that the Northwest has discovered beer delivery in a big way, and they've discovered that Zeke's is the best at it. And so... People are out there definitely drinking to get through this a little bit. And uh, like I say, they've been coming to Zeke's to do it. Do you think that when this is all said and done, hopefully sooner rather than later, this will continue the momentum of beer and wine delivery for you guys will continue into into normalcy? Yeah, I think it's permanent. It was something that people were discovering, you know, even before this hit. It was a segment of our business that was growing quite a bit just based on the buzz and stuff. I mean, it's a national story at this point. I think it's permanent. I just think people now realize that beer and pizza is one of the best combinations there's ever been. And they realize that, you know, they basically now got a tap house at their house if they want to order from Zeke. So yeah, I think it's permanent. Pizza, salads, beer, wine. Remind all of our Mitch Unfiltered listeners the easiest way to go about making Zeke's a part of our kind of a regular routine while we're stuck at home. Yeah, I use the app, and it's just because once you sign up with your email and stuff, you're really just a couple buttons away from your order, and the stuff you ordered last time is like one touch and stuff, so it's it's definitely the easiest. Uh, online at Zeke'sPizza.com is good, too, and then, you know, we still got our crew there in the call center. Sometimes if you got a complex order or something, it's, it's easier to call, and that's 206-285 to go. 206-285-8646. So they're all good. Like I said, I use the app. I'm forever grateful for our partnership. Thank you so much to Zeke's Pizza for being a partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Mitch. Take it easy. Unfiltered. And a throwaway shot by Eldridge Rakasner. And that's a... 
three-point basket. And there is Rakosner open. And Eldridge Rakosner hits a big bucket. And the Hawks lead by 14, 89 to 75. Ten on the shot clock. Rakosner, plenty of time. Guarded by Jordan. Rakosner firing a high arcing shot. Oh! Eldridge Rakosner with his sixth point, but his second big basket here in the fourth quarter gives Atlanta a 13-point lead. Michael was draped all over Eldridge. Rakosner has been hot, and he's fouled by Michael Jordan. So Rakosner coming off the bench and playing a big role. He's done a very nice job. So Michael Jordan's last dance series has been seen by the world it's always a great treat to catch up with our next guest who has firsthand experience suiting up against MJ. Here's my old friend, Eldridge Rakasner. ER, how's your family doing? Everybody's good, Mitch, and I hope yours is good as well, man. Yeah, it's a crazy time. Are you, you, you able to get the electronics out of the kids' hands or not? No, they, they, they're, they're stuck with it. I, I, I barely see them, man, unless they come out to get something to eat. <laughs> uh, so how'd you enjoy it? Did you watch all 10 parts, and did you enjoy the Jordan series? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I sat down, I watched them all with my wife and my son, who's, uh, who's 15 and playing basketball. And I just was glued to the screen, man. It seemed like an hour went by in 15 minutes, Mitch. I mean, it was fascinating. Even though I played against Michael and, and, and I was in the NBA at those times, it was a lot of stuff that I wasn't aware of. And uh, I just thought it was fantastic, man. I thought ESPN did a great job. And, you know, I'm really appreciative for Michael for letting people see uh, see an inside glimpse of what he was like. What was it about the show that you hadn't known or that surprised you a little bit, ER? I didn't realize the relationship with Jerry Cross was was that bad. You know, I, I it, it always puzzled me, Mitch. When I saw Michael come back with the Washington Wizards, I kept saying, why in the hell is he with the Wizards? You know, he's one of the greatest players of all time. I just didn't have any idea the relationship was that bad, man. I mean, Jerry Krause, he just he, he's got to be one of the biggest idiots ever. I mean, how do you run off a guy that's the number one draw in the world for sports? He's the number one draw in the world, and you run him off. I just I just don't understand that, man. I, I never did. and until this day, I, I just I still don't. Hard to believe that they didn't come back for a try at number seven. All those guys get the band together for one more shot. I think they could have won it. You know, I remember that '99 year was a lockout year. You know, I think the San Antonio Spurs won. It. I don't I don't see the Spurs beating that Bulls team. So I think they could have won another one. Like you said, they could have won seven. But I would have just let them ride it out, man. I would have let them play till they couldn't win anymore. But you know. Obviously, uh, the relationship was really bad between Jerry Krause, Michael Jordan, and Scottie Pippen, and they broke up a dynasty, and I think it's probably something that all involves regret to this day. You know what I was thinking as I watched? I was thinking, where is the 97 playoff series with the Hawks and Bulls and all this? There should have been, there should have been, there should have been, been three parts all attributed to the Eldridge Kasner hot streak. What game was that that you went off against the, the Bulls and Michael Jordan? What game was that? I don't remember which game it was, but I know they didn't want to show. We played them tough, Miss Man. I'm telling you, we should have been up. We should have been up too low. And I, when I say this, people people on social media think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, man. For some reason, my Atlanta Hawks team with Steve Smith, Mookie Blaylock, Christian Leitner, and Dikembe Mutombo. Matched up well with the Bulls. And I remember we went in there game one. We played them really tough. We lost a close one at the end. And I think we won game two. But then when we got back to Atlanta, we just we just straight got punked because they started playing real physical, you know, led by Dennis Rodman. But for some reason, Michigan, we always we always played the Bulls tough, man. We really did. And that was that was a good and a, and a fun series. And like you said, one of those games, I, I had a pretty good game, man. I've been 
I've been watching my old tapes on uh, on VHS, man. <laughs> you know, with all the static and stuff, jumping all around. But it's just fun to relive all those moments, you know. And just to say you had a chance to play against one of the greatest players of all time, man. It's uh, it's something that I look back on now at 52, and I can smile about. Now, ER, you got to go back. I don't know what game it was. You say you don't know what game it was, but it's a great story. You hit a couple threes. You scored eight or ten points in a very short period of time against the Bulls. And then, I don't know, who was guarding you when you scored the points? Because then you looked up and somebody else was guarding you. Tell that story. Uh, you know, I'll never forget it, man. I was having a pretty good game because Steve Kerr was guarding. You know, and, I, and I was real comfortable playing against Steve because we had played against each other. What you laughing at, man? We had played against each other in college. So I, I was comfortable with him. It was like when I played against the Sonics and I played against Gary Payton. You know, I was comfortable against him. And, uh, yeah, I had, I had scored, you know, I had, I had scored like 10 or 12 points and, you know, the Bulls call the time because we were down big that game. I think we were down 20-something, and we made a game out of it, man. And, and a lot of it sounds crazy, but a lot of it had to do with, with, with my effort coming off the bench. And I remember the Bulls calling the timeout, and after the timeout, Michael was guarding me. So I was like, <laughs> you know, I was surprised. I was like, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I'm here to shut you down. I was like, I'm going to after that, bitch. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was phenomenal, man. So he did shut you down, or you got some against him? No, he said he, he, he. I don't think that particular game. I don't think I scored anymore. But there was <laughs> there was a game that we played in Chicago that that you know I think I might have had twelve or fifteen and seventeen or something like that that I played pretty well too. But uh, you know I just got so much respect for him, man. I, I tell this story because I've done a few podcasts. You know, when I was a rookie in the league. You know, my first year, you know, guys didn't know who I was, so guys wouldn't play me tough. And I, I could shoot the ball for the for, for your listeners out here in the Northwest that followed my career at UW and throughout the NBA. They know I could shoot the basketball. But when I got to the NBA, man, at 27, you know, guys didn't know who I was because I wasn't drafted. So they would just kind of take it easy. Nah, he ain't nobody. I'll leave him alone. Man, I hit a couple of shots, and then all of a sudden they were coming. They would were, they were play me pretty tough. But Michael was on me like white on rice from the beginning, man. And I'm telling you, man, she was on me so tough. I kept thinking to myself, well, damn, somebody must have told him I said something about it. So finally, you know, after a couple of possessions, I asked him, I said, man, why are you guarding me so close? And he said, man, I just want you to know why I'm considered the best. And ever since then, man, I've always had a lot of respect for him because he could have just took it easy on me because he didn't know who the hell I was. But he just wanted you to know at all times, man, that, that he was the best player on the floor, not only offensively, but I think he was probably one of the greatest players of all time defensively as well. And that's one of the things that separates him from all the rest of the superstars. You know, you talk about Magic Johnson was great and Larry Bird. But those guys couldn't guard me defensively. They were great offensive players, but Mike, man, he was he was tough on both sides of the ball. Do you remember that first game? I don't know what year it would have been that you came into the league, finally got your chance. Man, you worked hard in the CBA and all other places to get your shot. You get your shot, and then you're up and, and you're on the floor at the same time with Michael Jordan. Do you remember the first time or no? Yeah, we played him. We played him when I was with Chicago. I, I definitely remember. I mean, when I was with the Houston Rockets, and it was billing it as the game of the year. Houston Rockets were coming off back-to-back championships, and obviously Michael had retired. So the three championships that were won before then were by Chicago, and they were building it as the game of the year. You know, I had a decent game. I, I remember it because I've, I've recently watched it on tape. I think I had like nine points, and I made a couple shots against Michael. But uh, it just was unreal, man. I, I, I'll never forget when I got my first start in the NBA, you know, by Rudy Tomjanovich. You know, uh, yeah, came to me one day after practice and said, you know, hey, I'll just, I see how hard you're working. You know, just hang in there. I'm going to give you your shot. And I'm thinking to myself, there ain't no way in hell I'm going to play. This is the back-to-back world champs. You know, Sam Cassell, Kenny Smith, Mario Haley, Clyde Drexler, all those guys. And Mitch, man, I'll tell you, I'll never forget it. You know, I, I used to always take a nap on game day. 
And we were in Atlanta, and I was taking a nap around 2 p.m., and the phone rang in my room. And he said, hey, Rook, and that's what he called me. He used to call me Rook, even though I was 27 years old. He said, Rook, you're starting tonight. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, be ready. You're starting tonight. I said, tonight? He said, yeah. I said, against Mookie Blaylock? And I'm thinking to myself, shit, can I start tomorrow night? I thought I started against Mookie Blaylock. But, yeah, man, that was my first start. And uh, I remember that moment. And I was, oh. can't help but remember your first time playing against Michael oh, Jordan. Oh, that is fantastic. All right, now you got to go back to the game that we were talking about in the playoffs in 97. Because mm-hmm. you said yep. that you scored a lot of points. And then you look up and he's on you. You say to him, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm, I'm here to shut you down or something like that. There yep. was, I want to know, I read something about a forced travel, that you forced him to travel, that ER forced MJ to travel. And I also want to know, I think in the same game, there was a missed dunk, a missed Eldridge Rickasner oh, wow. dunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really remember the, 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 the forced travel, but you know what, man, I, I, I this is the attitude that I took, Mitch. You know, it was Michael Jordan. I knew he was the best player in the league. And, you know, I knew I was going to play. Um, you know, it was either me or John Barry, I think, that year, that whoever came off the bench first, that was the guy that was going to play all the time. The other guy wasn't going to play at all. So I had made up my mind that that guy was going to be me. And I said to myself, I said, you know what, he, this dude is the best player in the league. He gives everybody the business. So if he embarrasses you, it's no big deal. But if you could just go out there and hold your own, man, you can make a name for yourself. And that's the attitude that I took into it. I, when I tell you as God is my witness, Mitch, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't intimidated. I mean, I tried to just make him work, man. I mean, I, I knew I couldn't stop him. But all I wanted to do was make was make life tough for him. And I think a few little times I played against him that season, I think I did. Mm. The play you're talking about is I think I got, a, I got a steal and I was in transition. And, you know, I was on the right side of the court. And he was coming down the left side of the court. And I can see him you know, out of the corner of my eye. The whole time I'm just thinking to myself, man, if you dunk on Jordan, you're going to make a name for yourself. I swear to God, Mitch, that's what I was saying to myself. I said, if you dunk on Jordan, you're going to be on ESPN top 10 plays. So all I wanted to do was dunk on him, man. So I'm going down the court. I'm going down the right. I can see him coming down the left side, sizing up, wanting to go for the block. Or so I thought. And when I planted to jump, I ended up throwing the ball all the way over the rim. I think the ball might have went into the stands on the other side. And uh, he, he kind of had this surprised look on his face. He said, what are you doing? I was going to let you go. And I was like, yeah, and I was going to dunk on your ass, too. And he just looked at me and started laughing and shook his head. But, yeah, that was an opportunity to miss, man, because I, I feel like if I could have made that dunk, like I said, I would have been all over Sports Center. But uh, it just didn't work, it didn't work out in my favor. Did I see that your mom was there that day? For Mother's Day, it was like a Mother's Day game or My something. My mom like- was there. Yeah, and that was that was another factor, Mitch. I kept saying to myself, "Man, you can't let this dude embarrass you with your mom watching." So I, <laughs> I, I had made up my mind. <laughs> he wasn't going. He wasn't going to embarrass me. And, and I tell you, Mitch, that one, that particular game came down to the end, and I'll never forget it, man. I played most of I played most of the fourth quarter, and I was guarding Jordan because Steve Smith, you know, needed a break because he had to score and guard Mike. Right. And I remember getting stuck down on the block against Mike one on one, and he gave me a pump fake. And people that are on social media, Twitter, and all that stuff, they probably didn't seen the picture before. I fouled the hell out of him so hard he completely flipped me over, man. So in the picture, all you see is my feet up in the air. But like I said, once again, I you know I just told him I said, man, I wasn't gonna give you nothing either. You can go to the free throw line and make it, but you wasn't getting no hand one on me down there in the post. <laughs> yep. I, I love it. You said I saw on one of your tweets a long time ago that you said that you thought that Jordan 
was not only the best offensive player, but he was the best defensive player in the league at the same time. Was he better than Pippen? Was he better than Gary Payton? Obviously, you think so. I think he was, you know, Gary, Gary was fantastic, man, and so was Scottie Pippen, but I, he was damn good, man. That's all I can tell you, man. Every team I played on, you know, when I was with the Houston Rockets, we had Clyde Drexler, one of the top two guards in the league. Clyde couldn't do nothing with him. When I was with the Atlanta Hawks, we had Steve Smith. Steve Smith couldn't do nothing with him. And you just look around the league, man. I mean, it's a lot of times Scotty guarded the other team's best players. It's a lot like, you know, we're hearing all this talk about the Sonics when they made it to the finals in 96 and Gary Payton didn't start off on Jordan. Because back in those days, you didn't want your best offensive player to get in foul trouble guarding other team's best guys. So I think that happened to Mike a lot during his time, too. But when the game was on the line, man, he, he wasn't shying away from a matchup. You know, if the other team's best player was a perimeter guy, most likely Michael was going to be on him. And that's the thing for me personally that separates him from all the rest of these guys. You know, I'm arguing with my son all the time. He's talking about LeBron and James Harden and KD and all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, you just don't understand how physical the game was back then. Right. And the fact that, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, I mean, the guy was the defensive player of the year and the MVP. I mean, that's 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 crazy, Mitch. Mitch, anybody that's ever played basketball at a higher level knows you're either one or the other. You're either going to be a guy that averaged 20 points a game or you're going to be a guy that's a great defender. Because both require so much energy, man. And when you see a guy that does them both, that's elite at both of them, you got a big-time player, and, and, and to me, that was Michael Jordan, and that's why I consider him the best that I ever seen. He's the best that I ever saw, and I loved him as well, like everybody else in the world. I, I will tell you this, Eldridge. I said on the last couple of podcasts that my only minor criticism of Jordan, not the player, but like, I don't know what he is, 55, 56. He's a little older than you and I. You and I are the same age. Um, w- what I didn't love about the 10 10- – part series was it still seems like he has trouble offering praise to others all of these guys all of these superstars are on there worshiping him er they're all saying nothing but incredible things about him but he doesn't have a lot of nice words to say how 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 tough is it for a michael jordan to be sitting in that chair and say something nice about clyde drexler or about gary payton instead of laughing at him or about barkley i I understand that he was like that when he was a player but now that he's a you know a middle-aged man who is considered by just about everybody as the greatest including his peers why not offer you know throw a couple of praises at some of these guys I think, I think, number one, I think it just goes to show what type of ego he has, man, and, and that he's still in that competitive mode. And uh, but, I, but, I, but I really and truly believe from the bottom of my heart, Mitch, if there was a, if there was an episode eleven, I think he probably would. Because when you're in the heat of the moment, when you're battling against a guy, you don't have a chance. You don't have time to tell a guy how, how great you think he is, and that you know, and all that stuff. Because you're trying to keep the edge. And the reason I say this, and, and you know, your fans out here, this will be the first time they hear this because it just happened to me recently. John Howie does a kick hunger uh, fundraiser every year. And every year he invites me, and every year he invites Gary Payton. Me and Gary Payton played against each other in college. I hated Gary when we was in school. I thought we were the best two players our senior year in the Pac-10 back then. Gary never complimented me about anything, man. And last year at that dinner, he finally said to me, you know what, oh, man, I got a lot of respect for you because you would never back now. And to hear that coming from him to me made me really feel good. And I think if Michael had a chance to make an episode 11, now that he's seen all these comments that people make, because I'm, I, I I'm, not, I'm not sure if he saw all the comments or not before they put the, the whole deal together. I, 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 can't, I would imagine that he did. 
But I think if he had a chance to do one more segment just to go back and thank all those guys that praise him to give them some more praise, I really think he would, man, because when you're playing against guys, guys aren't going to say anything to you if they respect your game because they're trying to they're trying to keep that advantage. I saw the little I saw the little piece from uh, Amar Rashad talking about Michael knew when he had Gary when Gary asked him for a pair of his shoes after one of the NBA Finals game. <laughs> See, it's shit like that that guys are looking for to try to get an edge on you. And like I said, Gary would never compliment me, man. And then here you go. 25, 30 years later, he finally says something. That's so nice. I think I think if Michael has an opportunity with, with, with one more, it wouldn't surprise me if he made some kind of appearance and thank all those guys because those were some great players, man. He could try to downplay it as much as he wants, talking about Gary didn't bother him. Gary was a defensive player the goddamn year. I saw GP with my own eyes, Clyde Drexler, who was a much bigger player, man. And like I said, I had played against Gary since – 1986. So I know how tough he was. So for Mike to sit there, I'm not saying Gary could have stopped him one on one, but Gary was going to make his ass work and not give him <laughs> knees. I know that for a fact. Well, maybe if they make 11, he'll he'll compliment everybody except for Isaiah. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there ain't no resurrection that relationship right there, man. That one is that one is just that's just bad. That's all I can uh, say. You know what? I can't I, I can't really be mad at because I I gotta admit that I lost a lot of respect for. Prize there too, man. The way he, the way he handled himself. I had heard about them ice and Jordan out of that All Star game, and I knew one of the reasons he wasn't on a, on a. Cause come on, Mitch. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas, in my opinion, was the second best point guard I ever saw. I, I never saw Oscar Robinson live, and I know he was phenomenal. But Magic Johnson for me is one, and Isaiah Thomas is number two. And you talk about Isaiah Thomas not making the Olympic team, man. I just I, I scratched my head. <laughs> but if it came down to Isaiah Jordan. I can see why the Olympic Committee made the decision that they did because, you know, Mike was obviously a bigger draw and a more fun player to watch. But Isaiah Thomas as a player, I can't take nothing away from him as a player, man. He, he, was, he was absolutely amazing. Isaiah Thomas, the person, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that Isaiah. But on the court, man, I just thought he was fantastic. ER, you're the best. You are the absolute best. I wish you and your family nothing but the best, and I can't wait till you and I get to visit again. Thank you so much for all that you've done for me over the years, and it's great to have you on Mitch Unfiltered again. Thank you for doing it. Thanks for having me, Mitch. I appreciate it, man. You guys be safe. Don't you have to love our guy Eldridge Rakasner out of the University of Washington all those years playing overseas and then the CBA, and before you know it, He finds himself on the same floor as Michael Jordan, and then a little bit later, he looks up, and Jordan is covering him in the NBA playoffs. Only in America. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be without partners like Daniels Broiler? Not very far is the answer, and you don't need me to tell you that we must support local businesses and families like the Schwartz family during these times. It's vital. The same family that owns and operates Daniels also has Schwartz Brothers Bakery and Brenner Brothers Bakery, known since 1903 for their traditional bagels and rye bread. Founded in 1973 to make pies and other desserts for their restaurants, Schwartz Brothers Bakery now offers a delicious selection of fresh breads, bagels, dinner rolls, hamburger hot dog buns, as well as pastries like cinnamon rolls and coffee cake and Danish, and so much more at QFC, Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, Metropolitan Market, PCC, and other local supermarkets. For a limited time, you can also find Schwartz Brothers Bakery, Frosted Shortbread Cookies, and Lemon Bars at select Costco warehouses. Schwartz Brothers and Brenner Brothers 
proud to continue to provide the community with bread and essential baked goods during these challenging times. It allows them to keep many of their team members employed and look forward to the day when Daniel's Broiler locations can reopen and those valuable team members can come back to work. Daniel's Broiler, Schwartz Brothers Bakery, and Brenner Brothers Bakery, staples of the Northwest community forever. Unfiltered. Whenever you're dealing with vaccines, you've always got really got to be conservative about it because the history of vaccinology is one that is punctuated by as many failures as that there are successes. But we have what I call multiple shots on goal. That's a good thing. You know, it's been a month or more since we caught up with our friend, Dr. Eric Ding, the Harvard-educated scientist and epidemiologist, outspoken, informational, omnipresent on Twitter, Dr. Eric Ding. Do you ever sleep? I have concluded that I'm seeing tweets from you at like midnight, one o'clock in the morning Pacific time, and you're on the East Coast. Does Dr. Eric Ding ever put his, his head on the pillow? Uh, every once in a while, uh, this <laughs> virus never sleeps. So why should I? <laughs> Sometimes. 1.7 million confirmed cases in the U.S. We're about at 100,000 deaths. All 50 states are beginning to ease restrictions on some level. Dr. Ding, I guess the obvious first question is, should they be? Because the problem, as many see it, including me, is the inconsistency state to state. And while I understand the argument that each region is in a different place with the virus, I kind of feel like uniformity would be better. Yeah, I think this epidemic has shown that uh, we're all in this together because if if one state is not containing well, the rest of the states will have difficulty containing because we're all in the big ship and we don't have bulkheads or borders that can seal off each other between states. So it's it's really tricky on a patchwork basis. But at the same time, you know, people are having um, lockdown and distancing fatigue. And so if we were to open, we have to be very, very smart about it. But at the same time, we have to be honest with ourselves. And right now, as many health departments are merging different kinds of tests to make their numbers look better. And other states are trying to suppress their the, the official statistics. And, and we shouldn't play games with these numbers. We shouldn't play games in science when it comes to these kind of public health measures. So you say be smart, Dr. Ding. Why don't you define that for all of us here in the state of Washington? And there's people in many, many other states that listen to this podcast. Define what Eric Ding means by being smart. I think being smart is, first of all, it's very risky when we're at a high plateau. So we have to also look, you know, if we have to open we should have really good mask compliance because mask is the ultimate safeguard. It's kind of like a condom uh, against any single person spreading it to others. And if everyone wears the mask, it really protects. So first of all, we have to have that. And, and, you know, I could see how, you know, if Seattle, if they had an outbreak, but rural Washington doesn't, maybe, we could have different rules for different parts. I think we should do it by county and cities, but also be very cognizant that, you know, if you're a suburb of Seattle, that you're still at risk if, um, if Seattle has an outbreak. And so I think if we are in a very tight 
monitoring, testing, contact tracing, mask wearing, and then put some far UV lighting in public places where people congregate, I think we could, you know, safely slowly reopen but again very cautiously you've always been on our show very honest with testing testing and testing those have been your words it's been it's been yes. a month it's been a month since you and i chatted are we we're, we have to be ramping up in terms of testing we're obviously not where we want to be do you have any kind mm -hmm. of uh, information or numbers on testing that's available now as opposed to let's say four or five weeks ago yeah, testing has definitely ramped up a lot in the past um, a month. And but the, the, the danger is that some states are combining their antibody testing with from the virus testing. Because the antibody testing is more like a rearview mirror of who's been previously infected. Right. While the virus testing, um, you have to keep it very distinctive, more like what is the current state. And testing is still not ubiquitous enough that everyone has access. So I'm still a little bit worried about that. And we're not getting it as frontal as possible. And we should do like census surveys. Like, like China right now, Wuhan, they're testing 11 million people, everyone in Wuhan. That's obviously very aggressive. But we should have at least weekly or bi-monthly kind of census kind of sampling of every community to see you know, are there asymptomatic people who are transmitting it? Um, but testing is really the hallmark. But also you can look at testing. Look, if, if, if the case is growing faster than the testing volume is, so if, say, testing goes up by, you know, 5%, do the cases also go up by 5% or the cases go faster than that? Mm -hmm. And you can look at these kind of metrics of, hmm, maybe we're, the epidemic is slowing down, maybe testing is getting more widespread, but again, testing, testing, testing is so critical, especially since we're opening at a high plateau. We're not opening with, at from a low level of an epidemic. The ultimate thing for business success is can you bring the people back to your business? But people don't want to come back unless you reassure them right. that there's no more velociraptors roaming around Jurassic Park. Because no matter how much they want to, they're not going to come out to the businesses if they don't feel safe. Before I get your update on treatments, Dr. Ding, Dr. Eric Ding is with us. He's been with us kind enough to the to the podcast several times over the last three or four months. Before we get to treatments, uh, I know that you keep a kind of an eye. I mean, I, I don't know that you're the huge, the biggest sports fan, but, you know, all of the, everybody in our audience, huge sports fans waiting for decisions from the NBA mm -hmm. on whether they're going to play in a contained area like Disney World or the NFL or mm -hmm. college football. Baseball wants to get back. Mm -hmm. uh, you're reading those articles. Where are you on the safety and whether it's responsible for these leagues to start providing us content again in terms of competition? Yeah, I think crowded stadiums are very risky because the nature of crowding in stadiums. But maybe a quarter of the bed capacity, and I think we also need to install much more UV irradiation and, and like basically sanitation um, systems in the air conditioning ducts like better filtration, but also UV to kill any viruses that are recirculated in the air. Perhaps we could find a way using far UV, which does not uh, cause as much damage as regular UV in terms of skin cancer or anything. And I think 
mass for audiences potentially uh, down the road when there are enough, uh, especially, and I think locker rooms. I think locker rooms, as you know, are extremely, extremely humid places where lots of germs can spread. And I think locker rooms have to be completely redesigned for any sports and athletes who are, who are using them. But I think those are the main things. And maybe the safest thing is to have no audiences and they play in front of the cameras. Is it irresponsible for these leagues to, that want to do that? All right, let's talk about it. The NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, golf, all these, all these entities, Doc, they want to restart at the beginning with no audiences. They want to contain everybody and their families, and they just want to test the hell out of all the athletes every week, every game, every time. They're going to keep testing. And so the two questions are, A, is it safe? And B, is it responsible? Is the look okay now? Do you feel like there's enough, there's enough ramping up of testing around the country that we won't look at these, these sports leagues as, oh, my God, you're hogging all the tests, for God's sakes? Yeah, I think testing volume has gotten to a point that um, soon, I think the, the testing uh, for s- sports athletes is not going to be a big deal compared to as much as the Utah Jazz drama from a couple months ago when they got the whole team got tested, but you know all these healthcare workers couldn't even get tested. I think right. now tests have gotten to a better point. Now, if you test every athlete before a game, the pro- problem still is the testing itself does not pick up everyone. It does not pick up people in the first three days. And starting from day three to five, it misses a lot of people uh, who are asymptomatic but can still transmit. And even when you're at the peak of your virus, you know, it still misses a good chunk. So overall, it misses about 30% of people who are actually carrying the virus. And that is the worrisome thing that it is not perfect. The testing captures a lot. If you test positive, we're pretty sure you have it, but it's not comprehensive. And that makes it very, very risky in terms of using that as a metric before everyone plays the game. And that's the same thing with the White House. The White House uses their machine that has a well-known 15 to 20% error rate, if not even higher. And look, the White House still had an outbreak, right? Right. And so this is the this is the concern that the testing is not perfect. It can capture a lot of cases, but not everyone. Got it. But these players keep going, huffing and puffing through a whole game together, and especially in tight locker rooms, that the virus could still. There's always a chance. Are we willing as a society to accept that chance? Because obviously, as a public health expert, I say we theoretically shouldn't do it, but. A lot of there are a lot of pressure on the other side that you know business has to go on and we have to do it as safe as possible. From a you know, there's nothing that with that, that doesn't carry risk in this world. All right, treatments chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine remain in the spotlight in large part because of the president. Mm-hmm. A huge study, not trial, but study has concluded, mm-hmm. and you've been all over that with some eye popping results. Uh, in layman's terms, in a, in a short synopsis, tell us what we found about those drugs. Yeah, so this was 96,000 people uh, with COVID across the world, six continents, 671 hospitals. Bottom line is, of the 15,000 people who took hydroxychloroquine chloroquine, they had about 30 to 40% higher risk of dying than those, than the 80,000 who did not take it. And 
and also the there's about two, three, or four fold higher uh, risk of risky cardiac arrhythmia, heart arrhythmia, than those who did not take it. So this, like this, almost as some someone put it, you know, it's not that even had any benefit, but it actually showed it was actually dangerous for mortality. Now, again, it's not a trial, but it's a really good hospital registry data. So hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine is not, not without risk. All right. Where, so I, I personally don't think you should take it. Okay. So where are you on remdesivir now, a month later? Remdesivir, yeah. Remdesivir, uh, the, the, the trial report just came out. Actually, Helen Chu, who is uh, one of the Seattle Flu Study uh, lead researchers, she was a co-author on this, and the 1,000 person study, and this is a trial, actually found that it reduced um, the illness duration by about 30%. So it was actually decent, but it didn't reduce mortality. So the fact that it didn't reduce mortality means it's not a silver bullet. It just shortens your illness by a few days, by about four days, but it didn't actually reduce, it, it, it like lowered it about a little bit, about 30%, but it wasn't quite significant. Okay. So it's not a magic bullet in any way. Anything on a vaccine? Any update on any kind of te- technology or advancements in creating something that will be the end-all, be-all to this virus? <laughs> we can dream. I think vaccines are, there's a Moderna vaccine, but it only had eight people reporting results so far. It's promising. There's another Oxford group of vaccine. They're, they say they'll have it ready by September for emergency use for healthcare workers. We'll believe it when we see it, but I'm hopeful by late fall we'll have some for maybe healthcare workers and maybe some key first responders, and hopefully next spring for the general population. And when the general public gets these vaccines, are we going to have to get them every year, Eric, or are we getting them we every few years? Or we don't it, know. It depends it, on the it, vaccine. Yeah, it depends on the vaccine. There's different ways of, of designing vaccines. Um, uh, if you're targeting the, the outer shell of the virus or if you're targeting the, the, the inner mechanisms, I think will likely be at least good for a, a year or two, if not a lifetime benefit. There was one study that said someone who was immune to the old SARS 17 years ago, uh, that person showed some immunity to the new this new virus. So I think there is some... Um, there is some hope that it will be a long-term solution rather than like a seasonal flu yeah. uh, vaccine. Yeah. Restaurants are going to start to reopen here shortly. I know you're going to be uncomfortable with that, at least in, in restaurant dining. We all want to support our local economy and our local small businesses. Speak to us on where you are on us going and sitting down in a restaurant once the opportunity arises, Doc. Yeah, I think restaurants will have to still have capacity limits because – we know this virus spreads a lot. We know like anywhere from a quarter to half the people are who have the virus are asymptomatic. So we can't just rely on someone's again, testing. But I think if you have distancing and I think if people wear masks, whatever they're not eating, <laughs> minimizing amount of time. And I think if we have, you know, better air filters, uh, far UV lamps to, uh, sanitize the air and, and clean it, we could potentially allow it. But I think the best solution is outdoor restaurant seating. That is probably way more safer than any indoor restaurant. Go pick up some food and have a picnic outside with your family, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Houses of worship 
right in the middle of the uh, the limelight, right in the middle of the intense spotlight right now, Doctor Ding. What do you mm-hmm. think? Houses of worship. Yeah, it's it's really risky because we know some of the largest epidemics from Korea to France were actually started because of church services. And we know that there's been several epidemics in churches, in which actually the pastor has actually died as well. So churches, by by definition, people sing, people chant, it gives off enormous amount of virus particles. And oftentimes churchgoers are very elderly, which means they're very vulnerable. So it is very risky. I feel like is a well-known, super-spreading kind of type of event. Mm. So I would not advise it, okay. if at all possible. Dr. Ding, more and more people are returning to air travel. I saw an interesting piece from a Harvard professor that states that air quality on a plane that's in the air traveling is actually much better than you think and because of the filtering system, which is similar to that of a hospital, that the greater risks actually are in the airports, the trains connecting terminals, the jetways. Where are you on people that either need to fly or want to fly to see loved ones? I, I do agree that the mid-air uh, air quality is actually pretty decent, all, all things being equal, because they, they replenish the air, recycle the air um, um, purifier very quickly within a few minutes uh, the whole air system gets turned over and i think airports and transits to the air airport is actually the biggest risk but those are almost unavoidable so this is why mandatory masks definitely should be worn and again installing more of these air filtration systems RUV, uh, which has been demonstrated to be pretty good against, uh, you know, sanitizing this virus. It should be uh, like almost natural part of our public infrastructure. And New York City is also installing RUV and its um, subway systems. So I think these things, we need to completely redesign our world to live in a post-COVID era. And people need to adapt. And part of that is masks for everyone. Okay. So final message to our listeners would be, if I have you right, just if you're going to go out, wear a face covering, stay six feet Absolutely. from others, touch as few surfaces as you can, and wash your hands over and over again, right? Absolutely. Mass, mass, max, definitely, and avoid indoor spaces as much as possible. Okay. And get tested as soon as you can if you have any symptoms. Don't wait until you are basically unable to breathe faster you can identify you, the faster it is for public health officials and mass, mass, max. Very good. Eric Ding, a Harvard epidemiologist and scientist who's been very kind to us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Great to visit with you. We'll talk soon again. Thank you so much. Best of all. There's Harvard scientist and epidemiologist and our buddy, Dr. Eric Ding, who says, be careful if you're going to go out, masks, masks, masks. You know who I need to speak with? I need to speak with Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. I'm seeing 30-year fixeds in the low threes and projections that it'll be in the high twos in 2021. What do you see, Jordan? That is accurate right now, Mitch. Consensus is that 
they will continue to tick down here between uh, now and the end of the first quarter next year. The outlook for the next 12 months is very strong. So if I'm a listener of Mitch Unfiltered and I'm looking at my current mortgage numbers and I see 3.5%, 4%, 3.8%, what I'm paying, does that mean I should automatically pick up the phone and call Jordan Flowers a guild mortgage or... What would be the telltale sign that I should pick up the phone and dial you up? Yes, anything in the high threes and above certainly warrants a phone call. The old adage is a full percentage point drop in interest rate, anywhere between a half to a point or more in percentage drop might make sense. And then there's also the options, as we've talked about, looking at converting your 30-year into a 25-year or 22-year or 20-year and dropping the interest rate even further and keeping your payment the same or a little less, but cutting off three to five plus years on your mortgage payment. So anything in the high threes is certainly worth and higher is worth a phone call. All right, so Joe Schmo's listening right now. He's got a 4% number on a 30-year fixed. He calls Jordan Flowers. Jordan Flowers gets him into what? And we don't start all over again, right? He continues, if he wants, he continues right where he is in his mortgage payments. We can set it up to any amortization term that he wants, 20 years to 30 years. On a 30-year fix for your listener at 4%, we would be looking in the low to mid threes, depending on loan to value, credit score, all those factors. But definitely low threes right now. If people are interested in uh, paying a point, we might even be looking at 3% or below. Tell everybody how they call Jordan Flowers and his team And how long of a phone call are we talking about until you or a member of your team can say, hey, here's what we can do for you, comparatively speaking, to what you're doing now? Yeah, it's a quick, easy phone call. Uh, Direct line into my office is 425-250-3145. You can also call the 250-3150 phone number, uh, and you would get Mindy at my front desk five to 10 minute phone call just to kind of get an idea of where you're at right now, what your numbers look like and where interest rates are currently. And then we follow up with you with a uh, mortgage coach loan estimate and see if the numbers make sense based off what your goals are trying to be achieved. Perfect. Also a very hot buying market right now. Lots of multiple offers. Prices are escalating again. Good time to be looking at listing your home or jumping in and buying right now. Again, Jordan Flowers and his team ready for your phone call. All it takes is a call to find out whether they can do something very beneficial for you financially. 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Unfiltered. What I've experienced in terms of post-traumatic stress, what I've experienced in terms of you know the mental illness component is not unique to me. The only thing unique about this story is the fact that it involves somebody who happened to play in the NFL. Other than that, this story gets played out thousands and thousands of times a day. So if you're willing to talk about that and pivot towards awareness and action for solving those problems, then sign us up. In our now 93 free episodes and countless P shows, we've been fortunate to visit with some memorable figures 
who have had amazing stories to tell. And maybe the most moving and frankly helpful for me and my struggles was our next guest way back on episode 42. Actually, the 2019 Memorial Day, Mitch Unfiltered. He's the author of the book War Story. Sometimes the real fight starts after the battle. Here's our old friend, Stephen Elliott. Great to have you back, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me, Mitch. Good to talk to you. How have you been the last year, personally, professionally, managing the lifelong mental struggle of not only what happened on April 22nd, 2004, your role in the accidental death of football star Pat Tillman, but just life as an Army Ranger and now the pandemic kind of catches up? Share with us. Yeah, well, I think um, a, a friend of mine put it well. Um, he, he said that we now live in uh, we're now living in BC, um, which is yet where we, we had BC and now we have AC. We have before COVID and after COVID. <laughs> and so um, so I think we're definitely in a whole new whole new world, a whole new paradigm. Um, you know, we're really, you know, my family and I, we're, we're here in Olympia. We're really, really fortunate and really blessed. Um, you know, our business, the, the company that I run, Capstone Trust, continues to grow and, and do well. And, and there's certainly challenges with that each and every day. But, but we count ourselves really fortunate uh, with that. And then, yeah, as I contemplated my plans for 2020 uh, and my resolutions and such, none of them included a global pandemic. <laughs> so, I mean, we're here in suburbia in Olympia, and we have so much more freedom and so much more, um, I guess, ability to, to deal with, um, you know, what has come down the pike uh, from, from our governor and just from, uh, from the crisis itself. So we're, we're very fortunate with that. But I think we're still... Um, we're still asking a lot of the same questions that everyone is asking, whether you're in Northern Italy or Manhattan or Seattle or Olympia is kind of, you know, what is, what is normal? What does the future hold? And so I think in general, I mean, um, change is stressful. And, and, uh, and so I think we're certainly experiencing a heightened amount of stress and, and certainly um, having more to navigate, just uh, having our kids at home a lot more. Um, my yeah. wife has been really gracious with that. Uh, she's probably been the one that's been impacted more than any of us. Just, um, uh, just having us here at the house all of the time. We're growing in a lot of ways as a family that I wouldn't have expected. We're forced to deal with issues <laughs> more readily than we might otherwise have been because uh, we're together uh, a lot more. In a lot of respects, the pandemic has it hasn't done a lot to my world. Our, our business is, is is okay. Our property is okay. Our family are healthy. And so what we're trying to do, and I don't know how well we're doing it, but we're trying to ask the question, like, how do we not just hunker down right. and right. Pa patriotically watch Netflix and order takeout? Like, how do we <laughs> actually have our head in a swivel um, for people in need when that need looks like a lot of different things, not just money, but, you know, community. Stephen, I don't want to redo the same interview that we once did. I heartily recommend those who haven't heard it to go back to either episode 42 or 80. It's uh, featured the long form interview with Stephen is featured on both of those episodes. But for context, for our audience or the portions of our audience that are relatively new to what I'm doing, I know it's probably not even possible to give a short synopsis. So give a synopsis uh, a little synopsis on that day, April 22nd, 2004, what happened, and a little about your struggles and triumphs since. Yeah, so April 22nd, 2004, I was an Army Ranger with 2nd Ranger Battalion, which is uh, stationed just down the road, road at JBLM. Uh, I was an Army Ranger in Afghanistan um, on patrol on the Afghan-Pakistan border. And on that day, our platoon was ambushed. 
uh, we were split uh, to accomplish two different objectives, which added a great deal to communication issues that we experienced. And as that uh, the smoke cleared from that engagement on that day, we realized that we had sustained four casualties, uh, two dead and two wounded. Uh, and all of those casualties, as we came to learn very quickly, were uh, as, as a result of friendly fire, where one portion of the platoon mistakenly fired on the other portion, believing them to be the enemy. And one of those that were killed that day, as you, you mentioned, was was Pat. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to serve with him in that platoon. He and his brother, uh, Kevin, and I, we served in the same squad. Uh, didn't know them as well as maybe I would have liked in hindsight, but was really privileged to, to serve with them. And uh, as as that day continued to be unpacked and unfold, uh, unfolded uh, for us as a unit, we learned immediately that it was friendly fire that, that, that caused those casualties. And it became clear that uh, the rounds that, that killed Pat uh, were likely fired by one of two individuals, and uh, I'm one of those two people. Uh, and I know rounds from my weapon uh, wounded uh, one of the guys in our unit, and, um, and so that happened. And we, uh, we debriefed it and had a, a memorial service at the FOB, and then pretty shortly thereafter, we were back, uh, back doing missions. And so, you know, the, the story, that story that's told in War Story is, um, is really the story that so many people have experienced, which is uh, a young man going to war with an element of patriotism, with an element of service in his heart, and then meeting the horrors of war and, and meeting, um, you know, that so many have experienced and then kind of being left to say, well, what do I do with that? You know, what do I do with uh, who I've hurt? Uh, what do I do with um, maybe how others have hurt me? Um, and how do I piece together a life when something that was supposed to be a, a foundational and positive part of my life um, has now become something that's very dark and, and even a source of shame? And so I spent a lot of years uh, basically distancing myself from military service. I became a wealth manager. I, um, I kind of doubled down on the idea of success and the idea of money and that if I could make enough and, and do good enough that uh, maybe I could kind of earn my way out of the guilt and shame that I experienced, which um, doesn't work in case you're curious, doesn't work very well. And I, I got to a place to where ultimately, long story short, I, I had to, in order for there to be healing in my life and healing in my family's life, from those wounds that I still carried with me, um, I had to let other people into the conversation. Um, I had to be vulnerable, which is incredibly frightening. And, and I had to admit that I couldn't solve my problems by myself. And uh, I learned that lesson the hard way, having uh, dealt with um, that stuff for years. But um, we're, we're fortunate uh, to be on the other side of that and, and fortunate to be at a place, not because you know, we've got our shit together, but just because, yeah. you know, we've had really great people in our life that when we basically said, I can't do it anymore, um, we, we had people who were there to help us. And so, you know, we, we want to try and be in telling our story. We want to try and be uh, people that can can serve that as well. Uh, we were in a place of weakness um, and woundedness. And, and now as it relates to that issue, we're not. And so then the question is, now we're in a position of, of relative strength. How do we help others that aren't? Um, and a lot of that just comes through telling our story and sort of taking the power away from secrecy and the power away from shame um, that 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 can uh, yeah. that can produce. Not to celebrate what we did. I don't celebrate April twenty second, two thousand and four. Um, I don't celebrate post traumatic stress that I experienced for years. I don't celebrate you know drinking myself to sleep. 
I don't celebrate any of that stuff, but I can remember it. I can be forgiven for it. I can ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And that puts me in a position of actually what's clinically known as post-traumatic growth. Uh, We treat post-traumatic stress, I think, a lot of times like it's a, uh, like it's a, it's a, it's a terminal diagnosis. You have it and you're going to have it for the rest of your life. And that's just not true. I mean, we can grow and heal through that, um, but we're never going to grow and heal through it by pretending the thing that caused the problem um, didn't, didn't exist. exist. Right. And that's what I did for a decade. Right. Right. And, um, right. and and we're, we're fortunate to find ourselves where we are now. Steven, it's also Mental Health Awareness Month, the month of May, uh, Memorial Day weekend just passed. I think I told you back on 42 and then at Starbucks when you were so nice to visit with me that my great regret amongst so many was that I was in a place where I was too ashamed to talk about how I felt about myself, my marriage, my shortcomings as a father, even my on-air radio performance. Who wants to hear Mitch with uh, all that he's got to complain about, right? And I don't want want to play therapist here, but I would think this is the biggie, what you just talked about. And our soldiers who are lucky enough to come home likely bottle up their unhealthy images like you do and experiences rather than ripping off that Band-Aid and talking about them. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. We have what we're facing right now, um, you know, talking about that. And and we have, my gosh, you know, not to depress your listeners in the midst of coronavirus and everything else is wrong with our world, but we have another pandemic that's been running um, for a very long time, losing someone in their neighborhood based on the VA's own data, 22 veterans a day, mostly to self-inflicted gunshot wounds. So if anybody who wants to tell me, uh, who some of them have, I've talked, because I used to be one of those guys who uh, I was too cool for school. I can control my emotions. I can rationalize my activity, uh, my my actions. um, And I get to decide how I respond to a traumatic event. And I got news for you, you don't. Um, any more than you get to decide how your body responds to a gunshot wound. Right, you don't. Right. Um, at that point, you're in a place of woundedness and you need help. And what that help looks like is different for everybody. And, and we can get in trouble by providing overly prescriptive solutions. But, but yeah, we've got, uh, we have an epidemic on our hands where we lose, um, you know, since 9-11, we've lost north of 160,000 veterans uh, to, by death of their own hand. And that is a rate of suicide that is almost twice that of civilian population. So it is a mental health epidemic, and even in the civilian world, we've seen deaths of despair rising even before coronavirus. We just we sent 2.7 million people to Vietnam, and a lot of the deaths of despair we're experiencing are predominantly, um, although not all, a lot of them are that generation of warriors. As they age, the, the wounds of Southeast Asia catch up to them. Their prospects in life deteriorate, and at a certain point, they say, I don't know why I'm here. Stephen, a lot of us last weekend were flushed with thoughts of those that have served, volunteered, struggled, died to protect us. And those letters that you mentioned, PTSD, get thrown around a lot. But I'm not, yeah. I'm not certain that everyday people like me truly understand and can get our arms around that fight, as I remember for you, finally going to Pat Tillman's family was kind of a game changer. Uh, I'll ask yeah. you to recall that. And and dare I say, I know this sounds weird, you were lucky in a weird sense that there was that opportunity that you ultimately exercised that didn't cure but helped dramatically. What do your colleagues do that have chronic PTSD that don't have 
that opportunity in front of them to help? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I would answer it um, a couple of ways. One, I would answer it by saying that um, that road to healing is very much a journey, not an event. And so, um, you know, I had to, it, it took years of my pride and ego being whittled down, which um, was its own sickness, <laughs> ancillary to PTSD, um, to be, even be in a place to where um, I could make a conversation with Pat's mom about her and not about me, where I could go to her saying, you know what, if you hate me and don't want to talk to me, that is totally okay. I'm not going to take offense to that because you have the right to feel however you feel about me. And she, of course, she responded in just absolute and complete grace. But um, I guess I would say it's a, it's a journey, not an event. Um, and um, that 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 journey, and, and really what it amounts to, you talk about understanding post-traumatic stress. You know what it, what it really boils down to um, is you have a portion of your brain that is re- that is triggering a biochemical response to a threat that is no longer there. So. You, you've been taught, at least I was taught, um, you know, as an army ranger, you're taught to flip the switch to fight over and over and over and over again. And so you know, and your body knows how to respond to a legitimate threat on the battlefield. And that's to respond with, with lethal and deadly force. The problem is when you're sitting in a restaurant in Bellevue or you're watching a movie with your kids and a sound or a noise or an image or a smell triggers that brainstem response again, you're right back there in Afghanistan. You have adrenaline and cortisol pumping through your veins and you are as stressed and as hyper alert and as vigilant and as irritable as you might be as you were in a firefight or in the ER or in the ambulance or at a fire, right? And you can't talk your way out of it. Your frontal cortex cannot reason your brainstem out of that primal response. That connection has to be broken. And that connection, uh, breaking that connection is unique to each individual. But I think it does stem from, and I don't know specifically, obviously, what this looks like for each person, but it stems from asking the question, how do I find right relationship with my community? What does that look like? Maybe, Maybe I can't apologize to the mother of somebody that, um, you know, I did something I shouldn't have done or I regret on the battlefield, or I can't apologize for not being able to resuscitate that kid in the ER. Um, but the question is, how can I find connection um, with community again? Because the, the lie that we get told is that, number one, it's hopeless. If you can't talk to that person, if you can't, um, if you can't take that act, then your path to healing is closed. That's not true. It's false. I believe it's open to everybody. But we just have to ask ourselves and and invite others into the conversation. Invite others into asking that question and honor how you feel. Stop rationalizing it. Stop saying, well, I shouldn't feel that way. I've seen a dozen people die in the ER, and this one shouldn't have been any different. But for some reason, it was. Like, stop rationalizing it. Mm -hmm. Grieve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Accept that. Lament. And then talk to people about it and be open to what they have to say. Um, you have to be open to the fact that your, your rational thought, which may or may not be rational, frankly, um, is not going to be the end all solution for the next step you have to take. Right. But there is a next step to take. That step may seem simple and stupid. It may be my wife wants me to go see a therapist. That seems dumb. It seems like a waste of money and a waste of time. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what makes your wife feel loved and cared for, shut up and do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, listen to the people in your life who are seeing things that maybe you're not seeing. And even if the next step seems simple or trite um, or cliche, 
don't be afraid to take it uh, because I, I kept healing at bay in my life for, for a lot of years because I was, I was too proud and I was too smart for my own good. Stephen, you mentioned at the beginning, and you talk a lot about it in your book, the, the thought that one of two people's fire, friendly fire, killed Pat Tillman. What about the other guy? Have you kept in touch with him? How's he doing? How's he feeling? Has he had the same or similar experiences uh, with the Tillman family? Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, his name's Trevor, um, and and I spoke with him some years back after the incident, and you know he briefly recounted without you know speaking on his behalf, but I can say that he experienced um, I think in different ways maybe a lot of the same similar emotions: the survivor's guilt, the shame, the guilt, the remorse. Um, and I, I know you know he was you know able to address that and come out on the other side of it, um, in part. Uh, oddly enough, by we, we discovered we read some of the same books that helped us through that journey. Uh, one book called um, On Killing by a, by a friend of mine named Dave Grossman, who's a wonderful man. And if you're a, uh, if you're a first responder um, trying to sort this out, I would highly recommend that book. Um, if you're somebody who wants to understand more of the science behind killing and what that does to, to, to the human mind and spirit, highly recommend it. But I haven't talked to I haven't talked to him for a long time. I, I don't know how he's doing now. Yeah. And I don't know if he's had a chance to connect with the Tillmans. People like me, Stephen, who didn't serve, don't even have close family members that fought for our country, should spend time every day thinking about you guys and girls, but we don't. As someone who was in Afghanistan and saw what you saw, experienced what you experienced, when Memorial Day weekend rolls around, are your thoughts more poignant, specific, or are they no different than every other day in your life? That's a good question. I think um, for me, they are different just because Memorial Day um, as a kid was was a really big deal for our family. Um, so I grew up in central Kansas and, and uh, my grandfather, um, you know, he fought in Italy in World War II. My great grandfather served in World War One, And Memorial Day was always a time when uh, we would have a big family reunion at the home place, which was the place that my great-great-grandfather homesteaded when they came from Germany. And so for me, um, Memorial Day has always been very special just because of what it represents um, as far as family. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I, certainly when you have experience of, of wearing the uniform and, and, and going forth on behalf of a nation to, to kill other people, that, that's what we ask our men and women in uniform to do is to be part of that war machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we better hope and pray and make darn sure that when we're putting people in that position, uh, that we're doing so for good enough reasons. Do we as a community and as a universe, do you think, think and talk enough about the families that send their daughters and sons and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters to battle and the kind of mental cruelties and challenges and obstacles that they have to overcome sitting on edge every single day? No, absolutely not. And that's, um, I mean, again, there's, you know, a myriad of, of tragedies and shortfalls in our society. And, and yeah, it's, there, it's not, it's not cliche to say that when, when, um, when somebody serves in uniform, the family serves because they absolutely do. And so um, that, that is another piece of it. And, and to the extent that a member of that family who wore the uniform is wounded, um, that's a wound for the entire family. Um, and, um, and so I think that that's certainly something um, as we seek to understand and honor and, and just know perhaps what people are, are dealing with at this time. Uh, it's not that we have to treat uh, every family member as though they're, they're on the brink of breakdown, but it's just 
being aware of that, it costs. And the cost of waging a war is so much more than the casualty list, even though that's more than it should be. And it's so much more than billions of dollars spent, even though that's more than it should be. It extends to every facet of community. I even can't fully appreciate, you know, what my mom went through. I'm, I'm her only son, you know, and yeah. she played a pretty good poker face when I told her I was enlisting. But I, but I know that that um, was one of the hardest times in her life is letting me do that. And I, I know that she suffered as well as, as I suffered. The name of his book is War Story. Sometimes the real fight starts after the battle. He's Stephen Elliott. He's been good to us. And just know, Stephen, that I was thinking about you and your family over the Memorial Day weekend and all your colleagues and all that came before you and even those after. So it feels like things are good in your world, which makes me feel good. Oh, they are. Well, thank you so much, Mitch. I really appreciate that. If you've been listening to Mitch Unfiltered since the beginning, you know the name, Stephen Elliott. He's the author of the book War Story. Sometimes the real fight starts after the battle. His role in the death of NFL player Pat Tillman. Evergreen Golf Call, our buddies, obviously watching the markets very carefully as we inch closer to reopening the economy. The Evergreen Private Wealth Management Division been managing families' money for decades with the goal of comfortable retirements for people all over the world. I've had experiences with other firms that really only want to know, do you meet their minimum? Tyler Hayes' team is different in that respect. Their client compatibility survey at evergreengolfcall.com is one of several ways that Evergreen listens and understands your unique situation before even the first conversation with you. Everyone's risk tolerance, time horizon, investment preferences, different. Evergreen's wealth consultant gets that information ahead of time so that he or she can tailor make an approach and strategy that's perfect for you and your family's needs. There are even times that Evergreen reaches out to prospective clients to let them know that their investment philosophies just don't align, and that's okay. Evergreengolfcall.com. It's a perfect place to start. Just click on its client compatibility survey and answer a few questions. No commitment, just a starting point. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest and beyond. Unfiltered. You're down to two schools. Down to two schools. You, you applied to eight. You got into five. Five. And you took those five and you've narrowed, narrowed it down it to, to two. two. Yes. Okay. All right. That's all I can tell you. It's a okay. secret. It's a big secret. Okay. I said it was, a, I remember you the said only there was a potential th- dog in the house. Oh, did I? Yes, you did. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember doing that. Episode 93 continues with a guest that I am somewhat familiar with. No second semester of high school, senior year, no prom, no graduation. No track season. He's been confined to the house, we think, for the last many months. Here he is, the mogul, movie mogul Max. I'm surprised that you were able to tear yourself away from the the video games, the phone, the computers, and all the different stuff. You know, I have to go through school on my computer. Come on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Wait a second. Are you really taking classes online, or is that all a big fake? Of course I am. Of course I am. (laughs) You are not. I attend. You attend how many how many classes per day? Two per day, but only four days a week. Two per day, four days a week. Sometimes three. They have. How long does each time. class? Fifty last. minutes. And what do you do? You you get online and you do you see your I, classmates? See you, some, you see some sort of a Zoom thing. You, what do you, you do? You see your teacher. Yeah. 
and you can talk to your classmates right. and, you, and you talk to them and you do assignments on your own and then you turn it in. It's pretty lax. I mean, they don't really have any deadlines anymore. I'm pretty sure I have until like September to finish all my assignments. Do you get A's, B's, C's, D's, F's? It's 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 anything that's a C or higher is an A. So it's a pass-fail It's grade. a pass-fail system. A senior's dream. A, 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 a second semester senior's dream is pass-fail. But has it been a dream? Would you have rather have gone to class and had it regular and had regular school? I just met and, the grading system. I would have preferred. Uh, I would have. Pre- I, I see. For the most part, would have preferred the regular regular life as it is. So I'd are like- you saying that everybody who gets passing grades gets a four point? Everybody in gets the- an A, but it's marked on the transcript. Not that it really matters for the yeah. most part, but maybe yeah. grad school or or juniors will see it'll say A. And then there'll be some sort of marking that specifies right. that this is the time that they were at home. Does your grade point out? Does everybody's grade point average go up? Does everybody get a 4.0 or how I, does that work? I don't know the details, mostly because I'm graduating and I don't you really, really don't care. care to look into it. You don't care. Exactly. I got, I got your applications have been out. Your we're acceptances done. are in. You've made your decision. I you still shot the world. I still can't. You're oh, taking your. Ta- <laughs> I, I can't do it. I, I've been trying to do the W for for. Uh, Oh, I'm just over almost a month now, and I can't do it without with the, the help of my I, other hand. How do you do? Isn't that good enough? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I'm going to get kicked. If I ever rush a fraternity, <laughs> I'm going to get kicked to the curb because I can't do you it. Can't do the U Dub hand. Yeah, yeah. I'm in, I'm in bad okay, shape. Explain this to the the world wants to know. You shot. This was like LeBron James's show where he's taking his talents to South Beach. Well, for months and months, everybody in this house. I have house, a super team. I have a super team awaiting me at U Dub, and their names are Mom and Dad, and they're gonna they're gonna come visit and uh, and and when i say visit i mean they're gonna come buy me lunch and i'll talk to them <laughs> i promise i promised them i'd put down my bagel or whatever i'm eating at the moment so no hold on no, no, hold on a second for months and months and months the world at least this world in this house yeah thought you were if you got into the undergraduate business school at usc the marshall school of business at usc we were all under the impression you had gone to visit. You had met with one of the officials there. The, one of the, the officials high, yeah, there. The, you loved it. You came home. You were in a shirt. There's pictures taken. We were all waiting to see, is he going to get in? Is he not going to get in? If he gets in, he's going to go. We get the the thing. You celebrate. I saw you. I celebrated with you. Yeah, I know. I was rushed. And I all, remember the day. I was rushed in my room. You were rushed? You guys all came in and rushed me. It was, a, it was, it was like a blitz. It was, they sent a blitz. Yes, we uh, sent eight. It was the most effective blitz in Seattle. The most effective blitz in Seattle. That's right. I just thought we were all going to go broke because it was going to cost so much money. He's going to USC. We're losing him to LA. Will he ever come back? But I also thought, hmm, might be fun to go visit him in LA. We'll go to Clipsy's games. We'll when, go to Delhi's, and then all of a sudden you had the what was it, the May first deadline? Was it May first deadline? All of a sudden you look at us and you say, "It, it wasn't. It wasn't completely. It wasn't a complete flip." As you get closer, you realize yeah. how much you have it as a resource. You have your family as a resource. How much you like being in an area you know. You don't think of you know you're a, you're at sophomore in high school. You're not thinking about well my laundry, my family, my responsibilities, my knowing the area. You think about kind of just just about like class. But then as you get older and you have a, and you begin to get jobs in high school and you get a license and you realize, well, there's all these things I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to drive around eventually. I'm going to have to communicate within the area. I'm going to have to enjoy, you know, not just the time that I'm in class on campus, but the entire time. Will that be? Do you what think you're going to have trouble enjoying Los Angeles? I think I don't like sitting in a car for 10 hours a day. I don't, I don't know if I'm a huge fan. Do of you that, think so. that you're going to be allowed into the house to do your laundry? 
You really think you're going to be able to bring your laundry home? As long as I don't... As long you, as by I the way, are you bringing it home to do it yourself or for mom or dad to do I'm it? I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> but uh, I think I'll be allowed back in. I just don't know if I'll have my room. I think there'll be some somebody in my room. They'll have rented out my room to whoever pays the highest price. I'll come home. They'll pull out the couch. They'll say, here you go. Uh, Welcome back. So you're going to the UW. This is true, right? I am. I am. Yep. Better believe it. You're going to be a dog. Purple yes. and gold. Yeah. You know how many years I'm in town where people have been laughing at me? He doesn't even have any, he has no ties. Mitch has no ties to the University of Washington. When, For years I've been hearing, he now, doesn't care about the University of Washington. Now you He's do. He's got no ties. I'm going to be the parent of so a now, Washington Husky. Yes. Yes, you are. Okay. You sure this is the right call? I'm sure this is the right call. You're not changing your mind? No. I. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go to the community college now. I'm out of options. Uh, okay. Okay. All right, purple and gold. He's uh, he's movie mogul Max. He's bound for the University of Washington. You're going to go to their business school, their undergraduate business school. I am. Right? And I'll be back to make appearances. I'm not going to let my younger brother take over on the show. <laughs> I know what's going on here. He's replacing me. I'm being I'm being shown the door. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Well, uh, you know, you can still be on the show going to the University of Washington. I know. You can either come home and visit. Or you can get on the phone and, and call in whenever Live you want. Live from my dorm room. It's Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> before the Husky game. All right. I've got a laundry list. I don't remember the last time you were on. Do you remember the last time you were on? Um, what did we talk about the last time you were on? We talked about colleges. I think it was right before right before the decision. I had promised that I would come on in a week, and I did not uphold the promise because I was not ready for a decision then. Okay. So that was the last time. So it would have been about two or three weeks before May 1st. So, so it was mid-April. So, so, so tell on. everybody, who came in second? So Washington came in first. Oh, USC came in second. And, and, and you know, Michigan's in third. Michigan's in third. Okay. But All three great schools. Yes. Three yes. great business three great programs. Schools. Three great schools. Three. You said you all along you wanted big time NCAA sports, sports. Business. It gave me everything. So which of those three? Let's have a sports conversation. If you took the football program and you took the basketball program and you added it together... Well, you've been telling me for months that Michigan is the is the winner. How is it not the winner? I'm not saying it's not. If you I take UW, no, no disrespect to our UW fans out there, but if you take UW's basketball program and add it to its f- football program, equal parts, and you did the same thing with USC, and then you did the same thing with Michigan... Didn't Michigan have a? Didn't Michigan? I would think didn't that, Michigan's football program stink up the yeah, joint this yeah, year. They, they have stunk. Well, their their idea of stinking is still playing pretty much in New Year's Day bowl games, but yeah, they have not been under Harbaugh as good as I think everybody thought they were going to be. They've been outclassed by Ohio State, but I still think when you take what Beeline did at Michigan and then now Jawan Howard, the basketball team, yeah. you add it to the football team. Yeah. I think Michigan wins the three. Well, of course they do. But you hadn't. Of course they but, do. but the one thing I will say about you and, and to, to defend your decision to push Michigan aside was you had never visited. We didn't get I a chance not. to go visit. No. What we were going to do is we were going to go visit Michigan if you got in, which you did. But then by the time you got in, we couldn't go visit Michigan because we couldn't travel. So, Michigan was closed and all that. The stuff. complete truth is, was that Michigan was never really in the race as much as, you know, I was going to visit. I would have visited, but it was kind of like when LeBron sat down in 2011 to switch teams. The Clippers were offering him a max contract. Is that true? The Clippers had Donald like, Sterling. Well, yeah, but he had like Chris Kamen and he had Blake Griffin, who had never <laughs> <laughs> Blake Griffin had never played a game. He missed his entire rookies. He got hurt his rookie season. He got yeah. hurt midway. And and K and they had Chris Kamen and they had like Baron Davis. So yeah, they were a suitor, but, <laughs> but you know, this wasn't they, they're not over there with Dwayne Michigan Wade. Michigan was Bosch. the Clippers under Donald Sterling. I don't know if that's a fair comparison, <laughs> but you get the idea. You get the idea. Okay. 
All right. Well, speaking of LeBron, we love your your mom and your dad. Not so much your brother, but your mom and your dad are thrilled you're going to be close by, so that we can you take our phone calls. But what I've heard here's here's what I've heard from parents of kids that are local, like friends who have sent their kids to the University of Washington. Here's what I've heard. Yeah, I've heard you think, oh, he's 20 minutes down the road. She's 20 minutes down the road. We're going to see or hear from him all the time. And then like the first year goes by and you've never seen you've hardly you except for vacation. They never come back. They never come back. They ran away. It's, it's as if they went to L.A. or Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, it only Just speaks, because they're down the road doesn't mean you're going to see it them only there speaks that. to how good the school is, how, how great how the student environment is. OK. Listen so, to you. Yeah, you know, I know, I, I know my can stuff. No, I can't. We had this discussion. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> All right. How'd you like the Jordan documentary? You're a basketball nut. Answer a few of these questions. I how'd watched like it, it and I thought it was good. I did. I enjoyed it and it was a good blast of the past. I thought it went well. You know, I, I, I've always thought to myself, what if I just sat down and watched the Pistons documentary? Then I watched the Jordan or I watched the Lakers and Celtics documentary and then the Pistons documentary. And then You've the, seen them all. And then the first half of Jordan and then the Jordan rides the bus. And then the second, you could watch it all. You could binge watch it all. And it would be like 20 years of basketball yeah. summed up in like one. It would be like three days. Right. It's a lot of. And which of, of all of the I mean. Of For everybody those, who doesn't know, Max is 18 years old. He doesn't have any memory of Jordan playing yeah. Detroit, those bad boys, yeah, Bird, bat, and all this is. But at the same time, I will say that he is a an unbelievable reader of old things NBA. You also love yourself some ABA. The ABA, oh, you, I love you, that book. Uh, you are. You've got this incredible. Love appetite, for basketball. Appetite for historic NBA, NBA, ba college basketball, yeah. football, sports. and So you read up about it. You know more about this stuff and than I did. I, li I lived through it. Truth be told, in terms of the other books and documentaries I've seen, the Jordan documentary doesn't necessarily top everything. My favorite just happens to be the Bird and Celtic Best of Enemies three-part documentary that came out, I think, Did last I see year. that? Did we, we watched watch it together. together. Okay. We and it was good because it, it, it was because it was unbiased and as we know the jordan documentary and i say that with quotes isn't actually a documentary it's a more of an autobiography which right. is the number one complaint i have that jordan reviews everything i don't like how jordan can sit like there's two things that come to mind gary payton they in in i want to say the seventh or eighth episode they're talking about the 96 finals and Gary Payton's talking about how he guarded Jordan pretty well. Carl, after game four, said, you guard Jordan. Or game three, he said, you guard Jordan. They yeah. had been saving him for yeah. offense. Yeah. And Jordan, they cut to Jordan. He's got an iPad. And yeah. he's looking at the footage. And he has this thing to say about why Gary Payton wasn't in his head and all that stuff. I just feel like when you give him a chance to rebut everything that's been said, it's not really a documentary. Because it's basically saying he's cleaning up all of the... And you, no one's a god. He, he has scratches on his uniform. There's no, he's not perfect. You know, like I feel like Gary Payton did get the better of him maybe for a few games, if not for a whole series. And it just allowing him to say, oh, I had something else on my mind, which may be true. It just feels like it's kind of casting it aside. Right. I, I just, I've always he got the final like, say. I felt like it was partly just a too much of him. I'm still the best. It was kind of just a reminder to younger fans that LeBron isn't. The, it felt like kind of a message. You would have loved it. That's right. You would have loved it if some third person who loved Jordan, but it was somebody else's 
view, kind of an objective look at the Jordan years. Yes. And I, but we weren't allowed that because, because it was his the video. Footage. He, and and right. there's another example at the very end of the documentary. Yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls, says we had to blow it up. They were too old. They wouldn't have taken the contracts. And Jordan looks at it and he has, and he looks at the camera and he says, "I guarantee you that if everyone was offered a one-year deal, right. and you know he brings up Scotty, Scotty, he said with well, maybe, and I say, you know what? Cut to Scotty." Scotty's in the documentary. Ask Scotty. Don't have Jordan tell us what Scotty would do. They're all in the documentary. Why not just ask them? Scotty Pippen, would you take a small Would you have one taken a one-year yeah, deal? Yeah, would you have yeah, done that? Yeah, and, but we don't ever get that. And I honestly don't know if he would have. Scotty was fed up with Kraus. That was the that was the shtick for the whole documentary. He was fed up. He he didn't want to. He wanted big money or he wanted out. Well, Jordan, to his credit, said, "I don't know about Scotty. We would That's have had true. to work on Scotty." But he but he said that, that he everybody he else. He thought he could get Scotty to join in. Right. But I you just, know, Sam Smith and you. Did you read that book? I read the Jordan Rules. I yeah. read that book. Sam too. Smith has since come out in the last couple of days and said Jordan was lying. He was lying about a lot of different things. He was embellishing the truth, and there's no way he would have come back for one year. doesn't matter what he says now in this documentary. He knows Sam Smith was around him, that that was the end, and there was nothing the Bulls could do to bring Jordan back. That's what Sam Smith says. Yeah, right. ESPN, is, and ESPN adds, offers analysis of all this stuff. If we want analysis, come back to Scotty. Come back to Sam Smith. Come back to Horace Grant. You should have Horace Grant on the show. I said you t- told okay. you this a few we'll days try. ago. But he wasn't on that team. He wouldn't have come. He back. wouldn't have been on that team, but he was on the ni- the early 90s team and he right. got and he got thrown under the bus in in the first half of the documentary and has called Jordan out. You know, I got to have all these guys on the show to corroborate what Jordan's saying because here it's Jordan is the end got all it. be all. Okay. So that's so you my didn't, thought. But you liked it. You it was good. It. I just felt like it was it was a lot more biased than it should have been. Okay, it got just it. felt like I don't got know it. if I believe everything. Got it. Where are you on where Jordan, I mean Based on what you've seen, what you've read, what you know, what would be an 18-year-old's opinion about Jordan's place in NBA history? I think at right now, LeBron isn't retired yet. It's a different conversation when he does. Jordan is still the greatest player of all time. Okay, He's got the rings. He's got six rings to LeBron's three. He never lost in the finals. He's got five MVPs. LeBron has four. So it comes down to whether or not LeBron can get a little bit more hardware before he retires. Can he win another? Because LeBron already owns most of these statistical edges, more points, more assists, which is another thing. Jordan and Kobe had a different mentality than LeBron. LeBron is a much better passer, and you know he displayed that court vision better than Jordan really ever did because Jordan and Kobe, we just watched Kobe's 81-point game yep. just before this. They had that killer instinct. They didn't really pass as much as LeBron does. You see, LeBron doesn't pass because he has to. LeBron averages close to double-digit assists in a lot of I think he was the season. number one when they stopped. He was, when they stopped, he was averaging like 11 this year. Yeah, yeah. He was crazy. He was going to yeah. win. He could have won MVP. Right. Jordan never really – Jordan averaged like like four, three, four or five assists a game. LeBron averaged like seven in his career. I was looking at it. And he's got more rebounds than Jordan. Jordan has him in steals. Okay, that's so it. let me understand this. So you believe Jordan, as of now, is the best player of all time, but you're open-minded depending upon what you, happens. See, a lot of us, like me, will never, no matter what LeBron does, will never call LeBron better than I'm Michael I'm going to put it this way. This is what I think will happen. LeBron will end his career the greatest basketball player of all time, and only for one reason, because I think that we will look back and say, well, if Jordan hadn't stopped and played baseball, and won two more championships. You know, I'm not going to say that Jordan. They would have won was, how many in a row? They would have. That won would have won eight, eight in a row, oh and or God. and or maybe not retired in '98. You know, right. I'm not saying that Jordan didn't have reason to retire for both those years. He had. He was doing something his dad wanted him to do. He was retiring because of Krause or whatever. 
And I'm not saying that wasn't justified, but I'm saying you look back at it, that's going to be the deciding factor, that LeBron didn't stop playing in his prime. Jordan did. And whether those reasons were justified, it's and going to be— And that plays to whose advantage? That plays to LeBron's, because Jordan, we don't know what Jordan could have done. Let's say LeBron wins three more championships. We don't know if Jordan—Jordan Jordan could have won more. I'm just—what I'm saying is that Jordan, in terms of his pure basketball achievements, left two years, maybe three, out on the table— because he didn't play, and he was rusty when he came back in 95. So the question becomes, to what could he have accomplished further? And that's going to say, you know, you might say, people might say, well, LeBron's the GOAT, but if you look back on it and Jordan had played, maybe he would be. So I think it's going to come okay. down to those two years. Okay, got it. Is there going to be a high school grad, like a virtual, do you even want to have a high school I don't graduate know. virtual graduation where you come Zoom or you I'm drive by way. somewhere? What Do you know what's in the plan? Is anything planned? Do you I'm, care? I, I'm this way or that way. I don't really care. I mean, I'll attend. I will attend. But the only thing I don't want is to sit in a sweaty gym with thousands of people in some sort of makeup graduation in the middle of July when it's going to be maybe like 85 degrees. Yeah. Don't want that. Okay. Don't want that. Do you that. have any idea whether, for, what's your sense, first quarter, what would be fall quarter, freshman year? I hope I will Are you going to be home? I hope the, 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 whatever the tuition cost is will be put to good use and I'll be in classes, but I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Would you be how disappointed would you be if you were on like computers here doing your first quarter worth of classes? Um, I would be disappointed. I would be disappointed because I want to be engaged in the, not just the classes but the learning community and the dorms. And we looked right. at dorms a few weeks ago, and it's you know I want to be there. Okay, you're paying whatever to, for me to be there and not for me to be on computers like I am here. It's different. It's yeah. different. Okay. Movie mogul, Max. That's all I have and, for and you. Anything else that you want to say to the listening audience? They've been waiting to hear from you. I know there's a lot of dog fans out there going, what? yeah, Max, way to go. Go dogs. And there's a lot of Cougar Washington State fans going, ah, you should have gone to Washington State or USC. So there's people that are cheering. There's, you know, they're happy for you. Everybody's happy for you. I'm happy for you, for God's sakes. You can still watch Survivor Seasons 1 through 34 on Hulu. back to Survivor? Always. Always back to Why? Survivor. Why? It's such I, a great show. Oh, I, I, was start, I just started rewatching a season on the Survivor. treadmill this morning. Always. All right. All right. Movie mogul Max, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 93 with my friend Hotshot Scott. Memorial Day weekend, I thought I'm going to treat myself to an enormous steak. I don't typically make steak oh. for myself because I live with a vegetarian. My daughter doesn't really like meat. Not, nothing on a bone for sure. So I said, I'm going to a butcher. I found a butcher in Issaquah. It's been there forever. Yeah. Went in there, got myself a big old porterhouse. Now, where would you normally get a steak? We're, we're a big steak family. Okay. I would just do the this, grocery This store. family, my kids love, so I don't, I don't, I love them. I don't yeah. eat them much. So when I make them, I typically just make them for the boys. And if my wife wants one, I'll get three. I don't, I don't treat myself all that much, but we're like maybe once every few weeks, I'll go to the supermarket and get a, a filet or something and grill it for them. Where would you typically go if not this butcher? Definitely the grocery store, just yeah. the supermarket. Would you do a Costco steak where they give, give you a pack of like 30 of them <laughs> like and they're the, gigantic? The, they're like Fred Flintstones? <laughs> where they you put going to say that. You knew I was going to say so that. We're so old that we put it on the side of the car oh and it flips God, over. Delicious. <laughs> it's the whole car right over. I don't have a Costco membership anymore. Oh, you don't? I just don't know if it's worth it because we don't buy meat really that often yeah. just for me. Yeah. What am I going to buy? A 55-gallon drum of mayonnaise? I mean, I don't know. Oh, there's so many things that we, we have. Maybe Costco's paper big. products, I guess. Oh, yeah. 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 
So I went into this butcher and I, I was yeah. waiting in line for this enormous porterhouse. It was so embarrassingly big and it was like $45 for the steak. Wow. It was very expensive. Nice I, treat for yourself. It was. And I was actually... I are didn't, you going to grill it? Are you going to bake it? Are you going to put it on a stove? What are you going to do with it? I've ruined many a steak on the grill. I fancy myself a good cook. I know you, you're a grill master. I don't, I don't know. And I'm not a grill master. Just and I don't steaks. know that I'm a good cook. I, I like to cook. I cook a lot. Yeah. I try new things. I've gotten, and I don't mean to pat myself on the back because I've screwed up so many over the years. I've gotten pretty good, not pretty good. I've gotten very good with steaks on our grill. Now okay. you take me out of my home court advantage and you put me on somebody else's grill where yeah. I don't know the heat. I don't know how hot it gets. I just know the dynamic of our grill, the timing, the thickness of the steak. Yeah. I'm, I'm nails. I am money every <laughs> single time. Right. And my kids are very, very particular on how they want it cooked. It's not like you could just cook it anyway and give it to them. They want it a certain way, way, red and juicy, like kind of on the rare side of medium rare. Medium rare wow. or less cooked. So I have to, if I overcook it, like if it's pink, they don't want it. I mean, they'll eat it. Yeah. They don't want it. So I've gotten really, I'm sorry, I interrupted your no, story. So you're, okay. you're, you're in line and you're getting yourself a $44 porterhouse. Which kind of hit me, you know, sticker shock. I was like, I thought he was kind of joking when he said $55. Can you the- say forget it at that point or <laughs> no, are you of course kind, not. You're kind of committed? Well, you're totally committed. It's like a small, <laughs> what do I got to do, walk out? For, you know. okay. So I'm standing there and this woman keeps look, looking over at me. She's probably yeah. 60, 62, bit of an accent. And I, I could tell she kind of wants to talk to me, but I, I'm really just laser focused. Straight. I, I don't want to make conversation with anyone. Well, and you I, can't make conversation with anybody anymore because I can't understand anything anybody says behind right. those masks. And I, I had my mask on. Yeah. I, it's just a cloth And she mask. had a mask on. Well, she did not have a mask on. Oh. There were maybe 10 people in there. She was the only one that, that didn't have a mask on. Nine out of 10. And she was an older woman? Or older, not? older woman. Oh. Looks over at me, and, and oh. I could tell she wanted to talk about something. You could just tell. She keeps looking over, and she says... Looking for somebody to talk to. Yes. And she sees my mask. She says, you realize your mask's not doing anything for you, right? I mean, your eyes are membranes. You could catch it through your eyes. Your math... Is, and I, so I, I said, well, you know, I'm wearing this because it's essentially for you and other people. And what if I oh, sneeze? Oh, you told her this? Yeah, I did. Well, good for you, Hotshot. Yeah, but if I wasn't rude, I just said, well... You should have screamed at her. I, I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to on the way home. Like, listen here, lady. If I sneeze, would you rather have it on or off? What, what would you prefer? Well... So then she tells me again that my mask is worthless. She, now I just feel like How many idiot. people do you think that particular day... She had stopped in different places <laughs> totally. because everybody was wearing a mask except for her. Yeah. So she probably had this conversation. Yeah, yeah. She was looking for a lot of people to talk to. And look, I, she's I, looking to settle people's hashes I, we, all day we, long. We did a Dr. Ding. Uh, the science is pretty clear on this. I know people think this is a political statement and they get mad at me and give me one star. I don't know. I, I, the mask is, 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 is clearly better than nothing. Right. That's, I think it's still very unclear on what percentage you're cutting off of chance. Yeah. But as they say, you're protecting others by wearing the mask. She's she's looking at it the other way around. Yep. She, th- she thinks that you're trying to protect yourself. That's right. She doesn't get it. And and I um, and, and then I you know and we, then and then the other part to this is in the bigger picture story of mask. Everybody's got a freaking opinion about everything. <laughs> yeah, who knew? Everybody went to oh medical my school. God. Every single person I know. It's like the old line that they told me as a kid. Yeah. Everybody's got a crack in your ass, right? Everybody's yeah, got yeah. an ass and everybody's got an opinion, right? Yeah, an opinion's right. like an ass, right? And so, I, I don't know. I just, I'm not the type of guy that's going to be sitting around in stores looking for people to share opinions with. Right. I'm not either. I was looking straight ahead and I could tell she wanted to engage uh, with me. Well, I didn't. She probably was a nice lady. She probably was. And yeah. I, I didn't go off or anything. Yeah. But I mean, you see, Floyd Mayweather. How was the steak, as it turns out? 
It was, well, I did it the way I do it. I do it in the oven at 275 degrees for an hour. That's my trick. Covered in salt and pepper. Oh, but listen, but then I, I finished it on the grill. Let me let me make you a steak one of these nights. You'll come over when okay. this is all done. And, and but I, I don't like it. Ju- I don't like it bloody and all that. I like. I'll, it I'll make it medium. any way you. I'll make it any way you. You like it pink? Yeah, pink, but not juicy. Yeah, I can make it any way you want. This thing came out like velvet. I mean, okay, it, it but was, it was an hour. I mean, I can in ten minutes. I could have the thing just looking like Daniel's broiler it's for you. It's like three inches. It was huge though. It was really well, big. Well, it might be, but, take a little but bit But to of be time. fair, I typically do my steaks for an hour in the oven on low heat yeah. and then I finish it in a pan. And it's this, kind of a wimpy way to do a steak But it's when you have a grill. I'll put mine up against anyone's. Okay. I'll, I'll put All it right. up against anyone's. Okay. I'm telling right. you. I, I, I stand correct. One day we'll be able to socialize with humans and I'll make okay. food for them. Okay. That day's not today. Other stuff segment. Um, Yeah, I have to bring this up. It's really a sad story and it's a touchy story, but Ryan Leaf, did you see the story on Ryan Leaf? I did see it. Days? Yeah, and I, I are there really, still really Husky sad. fans that feel like they need to go after him when really? something like this? I mean, I, I saw a couple of comments. It's With like where that guy's been in his life. Haven't and, you gotten a pound of flesh at this and, point? And, for I mean, him? enough, right? Enough. Uh, look, I was probably one of those guys that made fun of him all the time, and then you found out at some point along the line of his addiction and jail and and um, all the different things that that went wrong and. You know, hey, he was he was rebuilding himself. He had gotten a job with ESPN. That's right. Yeah, I, I mean, was he, so happy to see him working for ESPN. Yeah, it was great. I mean, the guy it was it was a it was a really nice kind of reclamation story. He he really had dusted himself off. I'm thrilled, by the way, that others were giving him a chance after all that happened and all the things that he did. Yep. I think ESPN showed a lot of guts when they said, "Hey, you know what? You've been through a tough time. Come on over." Yeah. We, we want to give you. I mean, America is, a, is an opportunity, is a second chance opportunity, right? And then the story, in case people are not hearing, is he was arrested on like Thursday or Friday of domestic assault, domestic abuse. Domestic battery. Take, domestic yeah. battery. He was in jail. At the time, I think of this recording on Sunday night, I think he might still be in jail. And, I, you know, look, I, who, we don't know what happened, right? Let's let the legal system right. do what it did. You know, there's there's a victim in all of this, and I don't want it to be all about sad for Ryan Leaf. Certainly, if this happened, then your your, your heart bleeds number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten for the victim, That's and then right. Ryan Leaf's down here in terms of your concerns if this really happened. So, so I, I I'm just saddened by the whole story. Sure. And as an aside, I'll just tell you that Ryan and I have been in communication. And, oh, interesting. and I've asked him to come on the show to talk about falling down and compare notes a little bit and talk about what it took to get back up and dust himself off. And I was really looking forward. It was supposed to be this week, this wow. coming week. Is that right? First few days of June. Yeah. Wow. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm certain that that interview is now off, at least for now. And I just hope the best. I just want to say I hope the best for everybody involved. Right. Not taking sides here. Hope the best for everyone involved. Really, really sad story because of the victim and because of what he's been through in his life. And yeah. it looked like he was getting himself together again. So, it did. Yeah. And I hope it comes out that it was a misunderstanding of some kind. And uh, that's that's the best case scenario at this point for him and for whoever he was with. Big Ben, another big quarterback. You know, if you saw him, he he's not in trouble, but he took a little heat from the governor of Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Now? Remember we talked about Big Ben, the way he looked? He looked like one of the feuding hillbillies from Bugs Bunny. But I've seen him recently where he shaved off everything. He was on a plane. There you he go. looked thin again. There you go. He looked like he was in really, really good condition. He was showing pictures of his new freshly cut hair oh. and, and then announced that he got it cut by a professional barber, but those places are supposed to be closed 
So the governor said, uh, why are you getting haircuts? Well, You're could he s- have gotten it at home? Well, that's what he says. The guy's a friend of mine. No money was exchanged. He came over to my house. But the governor was not happy about it. Thought governor was, of Pennsylvania we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I thought he was sending out a crappy message. All he had to do was ask Brett. <laughs> Who knew, right? Brett's the uh, the God. hairstylist of the stars in this oh, house. Brett would have had carpal he done tunnel. A hell of, he would have done a hell of a job. That's no, a, he wouldn't have shaved him now. That's a lot of hair. That's a lot of hair. <laughs> You're going to get arthritis in your knuckles for doing that. I said on 92P, and I'll say it again on 93, I have not changed my projection, my prediction, which I've never done before. I've never done predictions on legal matters. Yeah. But since everybody's loud and obnoxious in the Quentin Dunbar <laughs> thing, seems like everybody's loud and obnoxious. The Miramar Police Department was loud and obnoxious. Tagging the Seahawks on Twitter and all that. Michael Greco, his defense attorney, loud and obnoxious. Baker's a defense attorney, the Giants guy, loud and obnoxious. Everybody in this whole <laughs> thing is loud. Even the witnesses who have changed their stories and your questionable backgrounds and mm-hmm. uh, loud and ob- everybody in this whole story is loud and obnoxious. So I decided on 92P, and I'll say it again on 93, screw it. I'm going to make a prediction like it's a game. I, mean, I would never make a prediction. I didn't even make a prediction on the O.J. Simpson. If the glove fits it, you must acquit. Loud and obnoxious comes easy for you, so I can see why you'd want to do that. Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. Be no, loud and obnoxious. No, now you're going to be a baby. No, no, I'm not doing it now. I think, I, think, I think he is going to walk away from this. Yeah, you, had, you had two scenarios. In I had which, four, four scenarios. In, in which he walks away? Oh no no no! Yeah, two two scenarios where he walks. There's a few scenarios where he walks away. Yeah. I the more I think about this, the more I consider the witnesses, the more I read the read the police report, the more time it's taking for the Broward County District Attorney's Office to decide whether they're going to pursue this. The more I hear about the witnesses and and what kind of people were at this party, yeah. what have you. The more I think, and look, this this prediction is probably completely irresponsible, but it's Mitch unfiltered. So I'm going to be unfiltered. Right. I think he's going to walk away from this. I am, by the way, I am not 100% convinced that he didn't do it. That's not what I'm saying here. Right. That he didn't do it. You're talking Because I don't know what happened. Yeah. I don't know if he was there, if he was a part of it, not. I, I don't know who to believe. I'm the, my, my projection, my prediction is more based on how the, you know, the, 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 how this thing is going to unfold and how hard it would be, it feels like, for the district attorney's office and the prosecutor to win a case based on everything I'm hearing about what was going on. I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm not saying he did do it. I'm saying I think he's going to, I think he's going to walk away from this, but I, I will say this and as, 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 and I'm not sure. My, my level of certainty of that, my level of certainty on what I'm about to say, I think is even greater, which is I do believe regardless of whether he wins or loses, walks away, clears his name, doesn't, ends up in trial. I don't think any of it matters. I think if Quentin Dunbar was at that house, if he was at that house what, 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 with what was going on in that house, the high stakes gambling, yeah. the gambling party, the people who were there, what was going on, the scene that's been described at that house. I, I don't even think he has to be a part, whether he was gambling or not, I don't think it matters. I think Roger Goodell will ding him, will absolutely ding yep. him. Even if the Broward County prosecuting office this week says, we're dropping the case. We've decided not to pursue it. He's a free man, whatever. I still think Roger Goodell will ding him for being there in this crowd. Huge game. We're not talking about a little poker game here, right. like a, fun, a friendly dollar stakes poker game. Yeah. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars that we're exchanging. And this was a highly illegal party. 
and he was there, I think he's definitely going down for four, six, six weeks. So I, I would not, if I'm a Seahawks fan, I would not count on him, whether he's guilty or not guilty, being on that football field until the middle of the football season. Don't celebrate too hard if he walks away from this. That's right. I, I, there's fan. no yeah. question he's going to get to me. I may be wrong. Now, maybe Goodell will say, nah, we're going to let him walk on this. That sounds like Roger. <laughs> Come on. The course He'll be too like busy it. talking to the screen of, of fans <laughs> the behind fans. him. Yeah, the fake fans behind but him. But so you said you actually feel stronger about it than you did last week. What what makes you feel stronger about your, your prediction? I've heard a little bit. Well, I've spoken to the guy now, Michael Greco, yeah. and even though you take everything he says with a grain of salt, it's yeah. one-sided. But a few things. Number one, it's dragging. It's taking the Broward County Department, uh, prosecuting department, a long time to make their decision. That's first of all. I think the longer it goes. And then a few little details came out that I didn't know the last time you and I spoke. A couple of things about the character witness, the witnesses, the character of the witnesses that changed their mind, who these guys are. And then there's that note that came out a couple of days ago, about 45 minutes. It took the people that were apparently robbed of all this money and all this jewelry, it took them 45 minutes to call the police? Why did it take 45 minutes? To, why Why was the police not called immediately upon right. an armed robbery? We're talking about an armed right. robbery here. Somebody held a gun to your head and got away with 70 grand. It took 45 minutes for somebody to call yeah. the police? That's a little shaky. So there's a few things that are mounting up that make me believe ultimately he's going to walk away from this, whether he did it or not. All right. Well, that's good. But he that's one man's opinion, he, I, and I'm wrong more than I'm right, so it's, bad. it's maybe a bad time. <laughs> well, he's happy to hear that. All right, I got to get this story. He will it. not be playing right corner in week one for the Seattle right. Seahawks, though. Trey Flowers will be. I, I think we all agree. We have all seen Roger Goodell, what he did to Jaron Reed, who was not even arrested. Got right. six games? Was it four or six? Six. Six games for not, for not being arrested. Yeah. Can't count on it. This made me laugh. I just got to get this in. You familiar with Chuck E. Cheese? Were your kids Chuck E. Cheese kids? Oh, God. Yeah? I have stories. Really? Yeah, well, we're not even, I mean, last Tuesday, Max wanted to go. But other than that, <laughs> no. a table my, favorite, one. <laughs> my favorite Chuck E. Cheese story, and I think it was Max. It may have been Brett, but I think it was Max 100 years ago. Max is 18 now. So maybe Max was four or five. Mm-hmm. We went to like the one in Bellevue. There was sure. one in Bellevue. Still there. Like on 148 yep. or something. Still there. And I see this little kid having a great time. And his father's even having a better time. I'm okay. like, God, the father's having a better. <laughs> it's Nate Robinson. Is that right? <laughs> Nate Robinson's in the ball, in the oh, bag of balls. He fits, yeah. yeah, in yeah. The ball Nate Robinson's coming down the slide. He's playing the video games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't stop him and say hello, but I, he was just having the best. I was like, is it possible that Nate Robinson's having a better time than his kid here? <laughs> <laughs> At 5'8", he's probably loving everything in there. Well, they're, they're not necessarily known for their cuisine. God love, we love Chuck E. Cheese. They've given us all oh, a lot of them. Yeah. But the pizza's... You know, when it, compared to like Zeke's or something like when that. When was the last time you were at Chuck E. Cheese? What do you know about the pizza, Chuck E. Cheese? Well, I have an 11-year-old. I have an 11-year-old. So, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Where, okay. And not only would she have a party, but then her friends would have parties uh, and we'd go, you know. Such a germ fest. Well, think about that. That's a that great ball for COVID-19. Oh. <laughs> yeah, what are they, the ball pit might be a thing of the past, actually. How about the COVID little, thing. how about the big tunnels in McDonald's? Oh, yeah, those two. I know. Oh, God. Yep. What's fest. going on in those things? Kids peeing in there. And, and then every Who kid, knows what's going on in there? <laughs> every kid takes kids their shoes off, oh so the socks God. and the oh whole thing. God. Anyway, I, I, think, I think that's we should start a rumor that that's where it started. 
COVID-19 started in one of the tunnels of the McDonald's. <laughs> well, what if they want to sponsor the show? We love McDonald's. How dare you? And it didn't start there. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, I, I think they know that their pizza isn't necessarily known for being great because yeah. in the Grubhub app, they changed their name to Pasquale's Pizza. What? Yes, they changed their name to Pasquale's, Pascal's Pizza, I guess. Yeah, you would it's fancy. It. It's a fancy name. That sounds like a great Italian pizza, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, they're, they're, they're rebranding. <laughs> Who I, knew? Like a, getting, I like a rebrand. You're getting Chuck E. Cheese pizza when it shows up to your house. Like the worst pizza ever. <laughs> oh, come on. It's not the worst pizza ever. You've it's, had worse. It's not great. I mean, when you're ordering out, yeah, I mean, maybe you could do worse, but I, I love that they even are it's kind no of It's no Zeke's pizza. I get it. Thank you. Yes, it's it's not great. Pascal, by the way, is one of the characters in Chuck E. Cheese's okay. band, so it was, right. that was very smart of them. I got them, the I bell thought. in my hand. You got, you got uh, some R. I know you got some rest in pieces. We got some rest in pieces. I know you do. Before we get to the two sports ones, yeah. Roy Horn. You familiar with Roy Horn? Roy Horn? Not to be confused with Joe Horn. Is Roy Horn Siegfried and Roy? He is, as a matter Did of fact. Did he die? Passed away. Roy Horn, yes. Which one put their head in the tiger that uh, got almost killed? Was it Roy Horn or was it the other guy? So was it Siegfried or Roy? He what are you laughing at? He didn't put his head in the tiger. I thought he got. I thought he got like almost devoured by one of the. T- the tiger turned on him during a show at the Mirage in 2003. A seven-year-old white tiger named Montecore attacked him. Attacked which Horn. one? Roy attacked Roy Horn, oh. and uh, the tiger bit him on the neck and dragged him off stage. Yeah, I think there's not a, good. I think there's video of that. Yeah, not good. Um, so yeah, I left him with permanent damage. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of cheered that. Because there was there was rumors for years that they weren't very nice and friendly to these tigers, that it's not a good thing. And, yeah. And when that happened, I can remember a section, maybe not yep. a majority. No, you're right. I read a that A section today. of the public saying he, that he got what he deserved because he mis- mistreated him. Right. Did you ever see that show? You're a Vegas guy. Uh, oh, I'm a huge Vegas guy. I don't think I ever saw. I think I saw the tie. I think when the Mirage first opened, there may have been a. You may have walked by them or something. Well, they still have. Is there some sort of a display case yeah, or something? It's but, still there. Ugh. Yeah, they, they keep them in the... I dis- think Joe Exo- Exotic like stole a couple of them, didn't he? <laughs> no, this is the original Tiger <laughs> King, of, this guy. Rest yeah. in peace, right? Yeah. I mean, so Siegfried's still a- a- around? Siegfried's still around. They got to Vegas in 1967. Isn't that crazy? They did wow. a show for 36 years. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, about 36 years. He was the guy that looked like Bernard Langer, I think. You don't know Bernard Langer. Bernard, is it Longer, longer or Langer? Langer, Longer. Golfer. Is, the blonde, is, is Roy the blonde? Roy's the brunette. Oh, then I've got him mixed up. I'm pretty sure Roy, Roy's the... Yeah, the brunette. Oh, he's I the dark-haired yeah. guy. I, I thought that Roy was the blonde-haired guy that looks like Bernard Longer, no? So rest in peace to Roy Horn. Okay. He, he will be missed, and they didn't do any shows I don't know why he got top billing over the two sports guys. No, it's like dessert. We're going to save the sports guys for dessert. I want to get Roy Horn out no, of the way. Roy was dessert. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's nice. It's been a stirring tribute to Roy Horn. You should speak at the funeral, for God's sakes. All right. Basketball sorry, coach. Should I edit that out? No, it's fine. I'll, I'll edit it out. He'd be cool with it. I'm going to edit it out. He'd be cool with it. People are going to hear this. What did they edit out? I edited it out. They're not going to hear it, and then they're going to hear me saying, I edited it out. Nah, nah, nah. Okay. He'll leave it in. Eddie Sutton. I don't know a ton about Eddie Sutton. Tell me. Yeah. Well, there were two sports deaths that I think we should uh, of note that we should talk about. Two coaches, yep. and in a lot of ways, very similar. They were? Eddie Sutton and Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan was 78. Yes. Eddie Sutton was 84. 84. Everybody in the Northwest knows Jerry Sloan, right? Calabro one time gave me courtside seats for one half. I only got to sit there for one half, and it was behind Jerry Sloan. He scared the hell out of me. Big, tall guy. Oh, and the swearing and the yelling. Tough, and he was intense. Tough guy. God, he scared tough me. Tough guy. They won a lot of games. He was like the third leading winner in NBA history, I think. And I think... Pretty he, close. I think he he's had the, a Hall of Famer. The highest big, winning percentage in the could 90s be, could or something be. like that. He won a lot of games yeah. those Utah. And everybody here knows about him sure. from the rivalry. I mean, yep. you remember, I, I came in, 
I came here in December 94 in the middle of the year that was at the Tacoma Dome where right. they lost to Salt and Pepper. They lost to the Lakers <laughs> and there was a Salt and Pepper yeah, Gary yeah, Payton yeah. thing. Uh, and then they tur- and they had already lost to the Nuggets the year before that, which was a disaster. Sure was. Then they and then the first full year that I was here, and they signed me on to do the the TV with Calabro and Johnson was that year ninety five ninety six. I mean, I mean, was there never was there a better match made in heaven than you know Stockton and Malone against Gary Payton and Sean Kemp? Perfect, right? It's perfect. I mean, Stockton and Malone are sort of conservative guys. And then you got the brash Peyton and the young yeah. camp. Oh, God, and it was right? brilliant. And it went to game seven. And all, of and all I can, re- all I think of when I think of those guys is counting to ten when Malone was on the free throw line. Yeah, it would get to twelve. <laughs> Although I think the Key Arena fans a got faster, a little, little yeah. different tempo. <laughs> got a little quick with but, it. So Jerry Sloan was a great player. He was a very well-regarded coach. Everybody loved him. He never won the world yeah. championship. He got there twice, yep. as you now know. Won a ton of games. Yeah. Right? Got there twice. Yeah, twice because the Sonics beat him in the year before, ninety-six, ninety-seven, in the Western. Conference, yes, the Western Conference Finals, right? So the Bulls beat him twice, twice in a row. So yeah. he got there. He got to tons of playoffs. Jerry Sloan won tons of games. Didn't quite get over the hump. Didn't win a World Championship. Was a Hall of Fame coach. Now on the other hand, you got Eddie Sutton. You don't know much about Eddie Sutton because you're not a huge college basketball guy. Eddie Sutton was kind of the Jerry Sloan of college basketball. Not from the standpoint that Sloan kind of was at one place the whole time for the most part. He was the Utah Jazz the whole time. Eddie Sutton went to four or five. Eddie Sutton won 800 games. Sheesh. He, was, he took four different teams. He was the first guy hotshot to take four teams to the college basketball tournament. Four different schools. He's the first guy to do that. He had great wins. He coached Arkansas. I think he coached Sidney Moncrief and those guys at Arkansas. And then that I sounds th- familiar. The Arkansas coach he, Eddie Sutton was a longtime Arkansas yeah, coach. Had some good teams. Well, the biggest win that they ever had, by the way, no Arkansas. This is in the seventies, okay, or the seventies and early eighties. Was he beat an undefeated number one ranked North Carolina Tar Heel team led by? Give me the year, you said- Michael. Jordan. Oh, that was 80s then. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was the biggest win in Arkansas history. Number one and undefeated, they wow. beat him. So he went around. He was at different places. He's known mostly for his Oklahoma State teams. They always went to the tournament. They were always great. He had some a bunch of Final Fours or a handful of Final Fours, like Jerry Sloan, never won the championship. The one thing that might bring it close to home for you and everybody else was the most infamous moment I don't say famous, infamous moment of Eddie Sutton's career, which you may or may not know about or remember. Okay. Something's coming to me. Is there a press he, conference involved? Well, I don't know about a press conference. Okay, but go on. I'm sure there was a press conference at some point. He was hired to be the head coach at the legendary University of Kentucky. Okay. I think he took over for Joe B. Hall or somebody after Joe B. So he was the coach at Kentucky. Wow. Kentucky. Yeah. His first year, they were like 32-3, and three and they went to the great area. I mean, he coached Rex Chapman and those oh, guys. Gotcha. right? I think the third or fourth year of his tenure at Kentucky, tell me if you've ever heard of this, a package was found. Do you know Emory, the Emory um, Shipping Service, Emory, E-M-E-R, instead of UPS or FedEx or something called Emory? I think it's still around. Anyway, the shipping is like a UPS, whatever. A package was found that apparently opened... How often does a package get oh, opened? Yeah, every day. And cash came flying out of it. And like the, it, well, well, he was at what? Kentucky. Cash came flying out. It was going to, from Kentucky to Chris Mills' parents or family. Chris Mills was one of the top high school players yeah, yeah. in the country. He ended up playing in the NBA. 
and it was coming from whom? Here's your trivia question. Eddie Sutton was the head coach. It was coming from his assistant. Allegedly, a, a package of cash okay. being sent, $1,000 in cash, being sent overnight in, in, a open, box. in a box. Just in a box. And it supposedly opened just by accident. Yeah. And cash came and it was being sent from Kentucky, an assistant coach in Kentucky, to Chris Mills' family. The trivia question is, who was it? Who was it being sent from? Who was the assistant coach? Who was the assistant? I have no idea. Dwayne Casey. Really? From Sonic's coaching fame. From George Carl's yeah. assistant, nicest guy in the world, Dwayne yeah. Casey. Dwayne Casey went on to have great success with the Toronto Raptors, and now he's, yeah. I think, the coach of the Detroit Pistons, but he was here for all those years. What a wonderful human being. He was He was essentially... The, he was found guilty. He and Eddie Sutton were were admonished, and they lost jobs and were suspended for wow. sending cash to recruit. Now, Eddie Sutton and Dwayne Casey, I believe, for years afterward, into the, the, this day, says we were framed, total frame. Eddie Sutton, like, first of all, why would anybody send a thousand dollars cash through the mail, okay, <laughs> right, yeah. or through overnight? Yeah, yeah. That's the first thing. And second of all. Is it a package really opens? Somebody sending $1,000 doesn't bolt it, close it. It just happens to open, right? Yeah, if you were sending $1,000, would you put a little extra tape on so it or no? So no one really knows what happened. That was my next question. Like, if you asked Dwayne, Dwayne Casey, I would think he Dwayne, admit to it? Well, I, first of all, I don't think Dwayne Casey talks about it anymore because okay. it's so many years. Dwayne played at Kentucky. He's assistant. He was a young guy. I don't know if it's ever been proven whether that thing existed or Crazy. not. and what, Or it did exist, but whether they were framed or not, whether another coaching staff was mad at them and and pinned this on them, but that was the infamous Eddie Sutton moment. So Eddie Sutton is a long story, long story short. I've already bored you with Eddie Sutton. No, no, stuff, but, but the two of them, Eddie Sutton was a great college basketball coach, a great, great – I think he coached Desmond Mason. Do you remember Desmond Mason? Oh, I actually played in a charity game against him Okay, once, there you go. And he dunked on me. I think he was the coach of Oklahoma State, I believe, when Desmond Mason was okay. there, the Cowboy. Um, was Big Country? He's just a great – yeah. Oklahoma State, when they came here... 94. In 94. So he was I, the coach? Because uh, that would have been about the time of Desmond... I don't know. Yeah, I think he probably was. Okay. I think he probably was the coach here in Seattle in 84. When he he, slant, he uh, broke the backboard he in, sure in, 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 in practices, right? Yep. Anyway... He'll Eddie be missed. He was a character. He was a he was a, a a a personality of college basketball. Jerry Sloan in the NBA, Eddie Sutton in college, similar similar kind of successful coaching careers without quite getting over the top. Well, rest but, in peace all, to both of them. Hall of Famers to, to each end, both Hall of Famers. Interesting watching Jerry Sloan so much on the on the Last Dance. You saw him as a coach. Right. I forgot right. he was a Bulls. Right. He's he's in like the Ring of Honor at the United Center. As he, a player. I know he was an all-star player for the Bulls, but I didn't know that he was that good in the ring. Of I didn't. I didn't realize he was that good. I didn't even realize he played for the Bulls. So rest in peace to those two. And Roy do you have Horner, any other anything else? Yeah, I got some. I'll save it for it's a little. Eh, I'll, I'll save it for the patrons. I'll save it for them. It's kind of who a fun says thing. they want to hear it. <laughs> That's true. I feel safer with Go them ahead, you though. Take us out. All right, episode ninety-three is in the books. <laughs> 